Dr. David Banner, physician, scientist, searching for a way to tap into the hidden strengths that all humans have. Then an accidental overdose of gamma radiation alters his body chemistry. And now when David Banner grows angry or outraged, a startling metamorphosis occurs. is driven by rage and pursued by an investigative reporter. Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. The creature is wanted for a murder he didn't commit. David Banner is believed to be dead. And he must let the world think that he is dead until he can find a way to control the raging spirit that dwells within him. and behemoths welcome to marvel versus marvel it's the podcast where a comedian who has never read a marvel comic book before in his life watches a marvel movie or a tv show and then quizzes another comedian this one a marvel expert someone that was taught to read with marvel comics the yin and the yang of the marvel journey together we uh, explore the history and the trivia of Marvel Comics and the Marvel Universe. Hello and welcome to a very special Hulk versus Thor episode as we dive in to The Incredible Hulk Returns, a TV movie from 1988 that shows the very first on-screen appearance of Thor. Very excited for this one. Um, hello, folks, and welcome to the show. My name's Rob Holden. I'm, I'm one half of the equation. I'm the Marvel expert, and I'm joined on this Marvel journey, because it's really his Marvel journey, mm. by a very ignorant boy. He <laughs> is, in fact, powered by ignorance. It's Will Preston. Powered by ignorance. That's exactly the slogan a bald white guy with a beard should be <laughs> should be shouting in these times hello it's great to be here it's great to be back because mm. uh well i suppose it's not back to anyone else we've missed a record it was a bonus episode but we both went down with various different lurgies and yeah. maladies maladies is, is a word we should bring back um <laughs> i never understood and, what that word meant i never understood what malady meant no but i to me it always seemed a little bit like it meant um i just can't be bothered to get out of bed like i'm a rich old person in the uh in the 18 1900s and i can't be bothered to get out of bed he's come down I, with a malady i just think it's something where you gotta like uh, mop your hanky on your head and go oh mm. i appear to have caught the malady that's the vapors the vapors the vapors the vapors <laughs> is the other one yeah, yeah i went down with covid for the first time uh no. during the pandemic the very first time i've tested positive i had some wild and wacky things during the pandemic but i i didn't catch uh the big cove um <laughs> When I was, I suddenly uh, uh, popped a posse, as I like to say. Popped a posse. Uh, 
popped a posse, yep. which is uh, coined during our um, live show Leicester expedition. I popped a posse for the first time. Um, that was it. That was it, it, yeah, man. It was. Uh, couple of weeks of not being able to kind of go out the house and stuff not fun i didn't have it i didn't have it terrible folks i really didn't um generally just tired and exhausted however i was so congested in my in the tubes in my head with qatar that i i like lost hearing in an ear for a bit like it was echoey like you're underwater which is not good for recording (laughs) um i just horrendous congestion inside my head um, even when other symptoms have passed. So it meant that we, recording, uh, we, we were kind of slightly off track with some of our bonus content. That's the first um, time I've ever heard horrendous congestion outside the context of traffic. <laughs> outside of the, 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 the London Circular. Uh, um, the London, yeah, the London Circular, where all civilization exists, <laughs> <laughs> we like to think. And we're gearing up for a, for a, a mega August because... Um, so, so, so I'm going on holiday in August, and uh, Willie P is off to Edinburgh. Yeah. So we've got to get some some stuff recorded in the in the banks, really. Um, get it get it all logged. So July's a mega month for the worst time for us both to come down with something. It's and, it's um, really bad for it. And not only that, we've got to record stuff and pretend it's August. And it, you, episode, <laughs> yeah, you um, had a hangover. Is that right? Is that what happened? You went on a on a on a boat party and you had a beer and you just you had a couple of shandies and you got yourself a little bit of a hangover that you pretended was poorliness. Is that what happened? No, no, that was the uh, other time. Sure? That, that was the boat party where yes, I did, I did get drunk, but I had such, I had the best. Some, I, I had had a time in that, like that in five years. It was great, but um, I I just came down with something. I thought it was. I thought I ate too much chocolate at first. Or something. <laughs> you, you know that feeling when you've eaten too much sweet stuff and you can feel like this has got to come out now. Like my body's <laughs> got to but, but I, I was just an awful, an awful state. And then it was like two days of feeling awful, and then immediately I had to go off to Buxton Fringe. I had to go drive four hours to Buxton to do two shows. And I had a fun time in Buxton. Got a nice review. Uh, I saw, yeah, yeah. yeah People it, loving the uh, Will Preston can't face reality show. Yeah, it was good. It did did have a massive turnout, unfortunately, but enough to have a lot of fun. Uh, it was a, it was a bit of an odd one, but I, I did have a fun time. I got I got to tell you a couple of things though about what happened in Buxton. Uh, I, I want to hear it. Well, let, let me hear it. Let, 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 let me let me let me put you into context. Um, I've been addicted to a podcast recently called SCP Archives, which is about horror oh, right. sci-fi stuff. Uh, you might have heard of the SCP Foundation. It's a uh, it's basically if you like a little uh, creepy pasta slash uh, user gener- user horror stories, you know, written by people who aren't professional authors. Uh, it done in the start. <laughs> done it, yeah. They, they're not making if money you like from this. Stories role. are not written by professionals. No, then no, it's, uh... we're not. It's not Stephen King, but it's like done done in the style of like a government report. And it's some of it. Some of it is is genuinely some of the most. Ho- it's the horrifying. audio version of found found footage. Found footage um, exactly, and it's there's done it, some. Yeah. I think some very very good ones, but by professionals. I I don't muck around in these waters. No, no, there are some really good ones. But the thing is, I've been addicted to it, and it's kind of made me on edge lately, especially where. I've been coming off of caffeine and everything's happening in my head the last few weeks. But anyway, I, I stayed in a place. Uh, they had accommodation at the Fringe uh, by regular people who just wanted to support. So I, I was in a three-story uh, house in Buxton and it was really lovely, really nicely decorated, but it had that Victorian feel where I just thought, ah, I'm definitely seeing a ghost in the middle of the night. I don't like this. People have died here. People a have... lot of people have died in this house. And, and, and it just didn't feel right. And then the weirdest thing happened. 
Um, it was just on edge because I've been listening to this podcast lately. And then uh, when I went to the venue, I was doing my show at called the Green Man Gallery. It's an art gallery in, in a, a bit of an old hotel. And uh, the, the owner was chatting with me and said, oh, yes, yes, you, you, should, you should check out the upstairs as well. It used to be a hotel, but now it's like full of uh, art exhibitions and, and workshops and things. I went, oh, OK. So I went upstairs alone, you know, these big echoey corridors on my own. And uh, I looked inside the room, so like, oh, that's nice. And there was one room at the end, and the exhibition was called The Murder Stone. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is this will be interesting. And I <laughs> I went to the end of the corridor, this long corridor, and inside there was a dark room. And in the middle of the floor, there was a sculpture of a realistic-looking white human staring oh, up geez. at me in screaming on the floor. <laughs> And there was this moment, because I've been listening to this podcast, and there'll be instances where statues have come to life or there have been horrible visages in places. Like, there was a moment where I stared at it for one second, and the next second I screamed and ran down the other way. Whoa! You screamed out loud and ran away? Yeah, I... <laughs> that doesn't happen often, mate. It doesn't happen often, but, jeez, it got me at the right moment. Oh, God, that was... A, and, and, then, the, and then I did the and show. And then you did an hour-long comedy show. Yeah, but like, I was telling him afterwards, I was like, it was really weird because like, when I was getting to the end of the show, I was feeling a bit tired, so my mind was playing tricks. And, like, I was thinking, oh, no, that thing is going to come downstairs and kill us <laughs> in the middle of my show, of all things. It doesn't sound like you had a good time, Will. I did. I did have a good time. It's just my, my mind. And your, the better your eyeballs are like falling out of your head. Are your eyes okay? Can you you do realise you need to read for this yeah, podcast? Yeah, I, I do. I do. I just, I, okay. I, got, I got something in my eye. I got contact lenses in. Don't worry. Just okay. It's been, me. Okay. Well, uh, Willie P is up and down and all over the country. Uh, sort of. He's not really. He stays in one place, to be fair. With his... Uh, <laughs> that London. With, with his gigging, as he gears up and ramps up for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Will, where can we find you if we want to come and see you live and in person? All right, I'll go from the... So, Tuesday the 19th of July. Uh, I'm going to be emceeing uh, at Chats Palace in Homerton. Uh on the 20th, 20th and 21st uh, of July, uh, I'll be in Manchester for the Greater Manchester Fringe. I'll, my show is on 7 o'clock p.m. both nights at Lock 91. And then the week before Edinburgh, the week before Edinburgh, I'll be at Bedford Fringe at the Quarry Theatre uh, for my solo show, Will Preston Can't Face Reality. Uh, the 28th of July, uh, I'll be at Comedy Broth at the Brook Mill in Deptford. And finally, on the 30th, Saturday the 30th, I'll be all the way in Swaffham at the Red Lion for First Amendment comedy. And if you got your, can you let us know? Because I mean, we're, it's going to be Edinburgh very soon. Um, oh yes, yeah, true. Have we? Uh, how, how do we? How will we find you at Edinburgh? Where will you be? Um, at Edinburgh, of, uh... I, I'm I'm doing a late show for just the tonic. So I had to put my thing back in then. For just a tonic, I'll be at the caves. That's uh, that's down Cowgate, if you know Edinburgh. But don't worry, it'll all be in the guide. Just look look for me at the caves. I'm there from. I'm doing my show the fourth till the fourteenth at ten twenty five in the evening. Uh, all day to get drunk. Brilliant. No, it's. <laughs> I, I am not drinking at all. I'm going to be very good. Not only that, I'm actually going to be working from home in the mornings <laughs> at my lodgings, which is going to be very professional of me. But this will be a 45 minute version of my show, uh, just to get just to preview it and figure it out. And then next year, I'll be doing the full hour, getting all the reviews, doing a full Edinburgh run. Uh, hopefully, I'll get a one star in Chaucer at best. Who knows? Who knows so- what will happen. It's the 4th to the 14th of August at yes. the Edinburgh French Festival. 
French festival. Fringe festival. Festival. Uh, at uh, 10, was it 10.45, you say? 10.25 in the <clears throat> Just up the stairs, the, uh, just the tonic at, at the caves. The caves. Fantastic. Um, go out of your way to see Will Preston, um, especially all you wonderful cats and kittens that are going to the uh, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which is uh, a hell of an experience if you are a uh, a consumer of comedy. A comedy um, consu- co- comedy com- No, no, I can't, I can't make that any snappier, mate. I'm sorry, you carry on. I interrupted you. <laughs> uh, head to Will Preston um, on... You find him at Will Preston on Twitter for a list of those dates. You can go to his website, which is willpreston.com. Yes. That was a question. Sorry, will-preston.co.uk, but do you know what? It's just easier just to Google my name. I don't think it is. I think will-preston.co.uk is what I would go for. But, that you know, whatever. Especially since you've bought that domain name. Folks, make sure you hit the domain name. He's bought that domain name. Don't use Google. Type in will-preston.co.uk. Because it costs him money every every year for that domain name. Um, speaking of costing money, uh, <laughs> Marvel versus Marvel T-shirts are yeah. out now, and this is the last month you can get them. Um, it's been uh, really really great. Offworldtees.com slash mvm. Offworldtees.com slash mvm. It's been great to see so many people supporting the show, supporting us. Um, proving how much they're a loyal listener and a true fan of uh, of MVM by getting those shirts and by sending all these cool messages and pictures about it. It's um, it's been awesome for us to see. Really rejuvenating. It's not just doing the right thing. It's wearing it on your chest. Um, we've got two incredible designs that Peter J uh, came up with and were perfected by the Kanga Off-World Tees. We've got the MVM logo, which I think is wonderful. We've got Will Preston's catchphrase, Powered by Ignorance. We partnered with Off-World Tees um, so that we can use their distribution hubs all over the world. That was a big problem and stumbling block that we thought we were going to have going into this. We know that our audience is split loads across the world, a huge amount of you guys in America. Um, and so... We've also got you know listeners in in Canada and Australia and across Europe and stuff. We were not, we just couldn't work out like wherever we were. Like if we work with an American company or a UK company or a European company, like someone is going to be waiting for their shirts to be shipped across an ocean to them, and that we thought that's going to absolutely suck. Off World Tees, absolutely fantastic partners because they've got their distribution hubs all over the world. So it means that like wherever you listen to the show. You're going to be able to get hold of our amazing MVM merch from a production hub closer to you, right? So you're not going to have to wait for it to be shipped um, to come sailing across a vast sea (laughs) towards you. Um, They've been amazing partners um, for this. And it's your last chance, guys. The the official MVM t-shirts are only available until the 31st of July. Don't miss out. We don't know if we're ever going to be able to do this again. Get your order in today, like right now. Do it right now while you're listening to this episode. Yes, you can, pause you it. You can multitask. Pause it and and uh, pay. Pay your dues. Head over to offworldtees.com slash MVM. That's offworldtees.com slash MVM. Come with me now into the mind of a muggle, uh, a creature, who...
who has never read a Marvel comic book before in his life. That's the dichotomy of this show. Um, I was taught to read using Marvel comics. My my dad used to use Tipex to white out the word balloons in uh, in old photocopied comics, <laughs> and then he'd write in simple words that a little kid could you know as a translate. So Spider Man would be saying the dog goes woof, and that's how I was taught to read. And I was grew up reading the. Then I wrote, then I moved on to the proper ones. It wasn't that for my thirty years, um, and so I have a, a huge wealth of um, experience and knowledge and association with these characters. Will Preston is the yin to my yang, the other side of the uh, the player on the other side of the table, as it were, which is representing the vast majority of Marvel uh, fans nowadays. Um, the vast, vast, vast majority. Are, are people that love the movies and the TV shows but haven't necessarily read a Marvel comic before. We are appreciative of Marvel Kino. Of Marvel what? Kino. It's a pretentious way of saying cinema. Kino is German for cinema. And when you say Kino, it's someone being overly pretentious about film. Oh, I want yes. to hit you. Marvel Kino. I want to hit you. When you're next gigging near me. I know. To be fair, when people say that, I, I want to hit them too. But I just thought, like, shove it in there. Just see what you do, mate. Just to We've see obviously discussed Hulk and Thor a lot of times before. But I think that this is our first time looking at the Bill Bixby, Lou Ferrigno, Incredible Hulk um, franchise. It's not the series. The series ended, and this is a TV movie that came um, quite a long time after the fact. But this is a hugely important um foundation or stepping stone on the marvel journey it's massive this is the biggest thing that 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 had ever happened to marvel outside the comics yeah that no cartoon had ever been as popular it's never going to be as popular a cartoon series well and there had never been a tv series that had reached these heights yes there was a spider-man cbs series and there was the captain america tv movies but this is a, a massive event for Marvel. Well, I, I would say the only TV show that even, you know, that surpassed this was the 1960s Batman. Of course, that's DC, but like, it's up, this Incredible Hulk TV series in terms of cultural touchstone is up there. Right, it's huge. And, 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 and spe- I, I think, um, I think it was. Much, much, much uh, wider received. I think it had. I'm, I'm. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think this was a bigger TV series mm-hmm. in its day. It had a much better time slot, and by virtue of not being zany, colourful, <laughs> and wacky, it reached uh, a wider, a wider audience. Now, I definitely grew up watching this. Yes, yeah, um, same, same. Well, well that's okay. <laughs> There goes my uh, set up a question and ask Will. He just jumped in with it. So you had seen this then, Will? I, I, I had seen that this is this was my first exposure uh, to Marvel on screen. Wow! This this uh, this was part of my childhood. This was this was up there with Batman. Mm. Like like, but I always remember as a kid, like seeing Bill Bixby's eyes go weird, and it was always quite scary watching yeah. that at such a young age. Because because it was you never see anything like that before. It had that kind of uh, Doctor Who Star Trek vibe of oh no the eyes are going funny something's going to happen. <laughs> it was um, 
I think it, it, it was rem- reminiscent of some scary werewolf or yes. Jekyll and Hyde things that I might have seen. Yes. Um, or the Michael I Jackson think, thriller video. Yeah. Yeah. And looking back on it now, I think it also shares similarities with parts of V, which was terrifying when I was oh, a kid. V's fantastic. Um, I got around to watching that. Practical effects yeah. that, that really, um, that well, yeah. <laughs> uh, little bits of practical effects that can really creep you out in yeah. a world before CGI is everywhere. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I just I remember repeats of the Incredible Hulk being on television in the eighties when I was a little kid. Mm. Is that wait what you remember? You remember seeing it on on TV? It's not it, you know not necessarily something that you went out to see or oh, no, bought a video. It was it was. It was just a on TV t- appointment you made. It was just on TV. It, the thing is, I don't had, I didn't really have TV appointments as a kid until, well, apart from like CITV, you know, like kids TV when you come home from school. Kids TV, yeah. But like in the evenings for other things, you just randomly pick up on things. I think Incredible Hulk was something. It's like start. It was in the big bag with Batman, Star Trek, and other things. You just, oh look, that's all Doctor Who. You know, I, I, <clears> I didn't regularly, religiously watch anything like that. I think the only thing I really sat down to watch religiously uh was the simpsons as a kid when mm. i got round to that but uh, much ed- much later oh well, yeah much much later that though isn't it much later that was much later this was like you know just oh look there's stuff on tv there's random things you know but i always See, remember the incredible hulk making a massive uh, impact on my childhood yeah i f- f- for me i especially this one this one and the trial of the Incredible Hulk, which features Daredevil mm. and the Kingpin, these were these were tapes that I rented from the the video shop repeatedly, repeatedly. I know this movie inside out and back to front, and I hadn't seen it in probably twenty or maybe even thirty years. So rewatching it for this was something else because it it was it, it's so bizarre to be so familiar with something and then have forgotten about it for twenty five years. But this was, I, I strongly remember renting this tape an awful lot. The things that I would rent from the video store would be <laughs> wrestling shows because um, I didn't have uh, Sky or and, and so the access to, to wrestling was very small. I think it's worth us, us touching on or reflecting on. Right now, you want to watch a superhero thing? Mm-hmm. Man, you're tripping over yourself. Yeah. You've got Disney Plus. Everything is there. Everything is there. All the movies, all the cartoons, all, and now we have legit movies and legit TV series that are up there in competition with like the, the, the best modern dramas of the day. It's at your fingertips. And I don't just mean, um, oh, isn't it great now you can watch anything you want, streaming stuff. I mean the prolificate the proliferation of superheroes into modern um, entertainment and fiction is so much greater than when I was growing up, when you were growing mm. up. Yeah, there were cartoons, but you couldn't reliably... They weren't on all the... T- it wasn't like every week there was definitely a superhero cartoon on. <laughs> that wasn't the case. I mean, it kind of got that way in the nineties mm. when I when I'm a much older kid. But you know, when I'm when I'm when I'm te- by the time I'm ten, eleven, yeah, suddenly we've got 
X-Men, Spider-Man, Batman, Superman, Justice League, it's starting to kick off. But until that age, when I'm growing up, and when a lot of people were kind of growing up, there there wasn't a lot. I'm saying this is like the, one of the first earliest, you know, major breakthrough superhero franchises. Spider-Man didn't have a, 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 a superhero franchise till 2002. Yeah. This Captain was- America didn't have one until maybe 12. Like, <laughs> this, is, this is Marvel's first star. Yeah. No doubt about that. And we're also seeing the introduction in this of uh, trying to expand things, trying to get into... Um, Trying to get into the, the expand the universe, as it were. Mm. Um, and Will Preston is the man with the uh, the inside track on the production of this TV movie, The Incredible Hulk Returns. Um, I'm I'm dying to know. I'm dying to dig in to uh, to go. I mean, the first time we're looking at the Incredible Hulk franchise, so. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that as well as this movie? Oh, you know I was going to do that anyway. Don't you worry, mate. That's I've, right. I've got you. Big Willie's got... Willie P's got no. you. <laughs> don't say Big Willie. Don't, don't say it like that, Will. It makes it sound like you're spooning me lovingly. Uh, <laughs> so, let's start from the top. I don't know what's happening on this show. Neither look, one of us is drinking. Look, it's very warm. Uh, I've just come off caffeine. I'm, We're both recovering from illnesses. I'm coming from illnesses. Look, just let me say things that might be uncomfortable. Uh, the Incredible Hulk TV series uh, originally started as a two-hour, as two separate two-hour TV movies that introduced the character in 1977. The following series was a major rating success and even became a hit in Europe, despite superheroes generally being much less popular here uh, there than in the United States. Would you agree with that? I mean. I don't know. I mean, they're talking about the 70s, aren't they? So, you know, it's hard for us to kind of think about that. But growing up in the 80s, I, I, I very strongly felt that. I I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I can't really compare. I remember superheroes being a thing, but I don't know. I can't compare the popularity. Did you you didn't read but you so did you read superhero comics as a child? No, no, no. I like Batman. Did you have any friends that read that read superhero comics as as, as a kid? I think I had a friend at, uh, at one point, but it was very rare to know yeah, anyone who actually. That's had... what I think. I that's what I think. I mean, yeah, I, I didn't know anyone who had a DC, a DC or Marvel subscription or regularly read no, those comics. Neither did I. Growing up, no, yeah. neither did I. I was the only person um, until until I was like thirteen, four, about fourteen years old at high school, and I met. So by by that time, you know the, the cartoon series have exploded. Yeah. I think that's I think that's a, a um a pretty a pretty decent statement to make. Actually, you know, we didn't have an in much of uh, I mean in the seventies non-existent. We didn't really have a British superhero comic book industry. Nope. So you're relying on on getting those comics from 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 across from the states, and it was just much much less popular. Yeah, Our yeah, comic it? book industry is was war comics yep. hugely. Um, and <laughs> that's that's very, that, that's the British. I, I, that's the British uh, psyche down to a T. Just obsessed with World I War Two. Think so, yeah, massively. Um, and then, of course, we we in in the in the in the in the more kind of younger genre, you've got your kids' comedy comics like The Beano, The Dandy, um, Wizard, Buster, stuff like that. 
But then in the action field, you've got an awful lot of science fiction and horror. Um, you know, uh, level 13 and uh, the Iron Claw and the you've got an action-adventure kind of um, history and, 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 um, and tradition, but it's not superheroes. It's, it's a lot more in line with things like the saint um maybe a james oh, bond character yeah. or the event the the, the british avengers british series avengers, yeah um that kind of thing of where there's a little bit of sci-fi but it's not like costumes and superheroes and flying it's uh it's a little bit more low-key than that yeah. yeah exactly so back to the incredible hulk tv series uh with the original series producer and writer kenneth johnson actively wanted to get away from anything too cartoony or comic booky opting instead to create an emotional action drama series inspired by the victor hugo novel les miserables johnson saw the incredible series focusing on a wrongly accused man being hunted by unforgiving forces of the law yeah it's quite like um the, uh, the 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 TV version of ah oh, it's going out of my head now not the fugitive that? yes the fugitive because do you yeah. know that was actually based on a TV show that's why that's why I said the TV version oh of right so I thought you just said this is like the TV <clears throat> sorry carry on which is um, the fugitive the, the original TV series is a, a um, it's this you know the, the basic outline is very good mm-hmm. I am one hundred percent by the way I am one hundred percent watching that movie tonight. I love me some Harrison Ford. I love that movie. Tommy Lee I'm Jones. definitely watching that. Oh, Tommy Lee and Harry Ford. Um, love him. I'm watching that movie tonight. It's good. It's, it's, a, it's a, a guy who is um, accused and sort of framed for the murder of his wife. Um, and he blames a one-armed man. And he has to basically go on the run. And in every episode of this TV series, the, the, the guy, Dr. Dr. Kimball would go to would arrive in a different town or village across America um have to use a fake name and have to try and get some money and he'd end up mm. getting involved in someone's life and having an adventure with them helping them they help him but then also the law is you know the cops are on him and he's got to run away at the end and every every episode <laughs> he'd be looking for the one-armed man trying to clear his name but also getting wrapped up in someone else's life and that's very much what happens in this series it is do you want another tv series that does that exact same setup and premise you know which tv series okay it came after these two series obviously it's not springing out at me the a-team oh mm, a little bit the a-team was very similar. they weren't they were they put an advert in a, in a paper and people like rang them and came to them i mean that's a bit weird when you're on the run to like advertise yeah, it is, yourself yeah <laughs> If you know how to find them, you know, maybe you can use the A-Team. God, Reagan-era TV shows were incredible. <laughs> anyway, next uh, next up with the Incredible Hulk. So, Johnson's focus, uh, the producer and writer, Kenneth Johnson, his focus on making the show... At can Ad- you stop when you're doing a podcast? Can you stop putting your hand in front of your mouth? Yeah. It <laughs> slightly warps the sound, mate. I don't know if, <laughs> don't know if Sorry. you ever thought of that. Uh, my moustache was itch. My moustache... <laughs> Is it, it, a fine old fellow. It sometimes me, itches the inside but, of my nose, and I had to stop. Let me that. just let me just show you what happened. He goes, so uh, on this show, the Incredible tries to go over, and the Incredible Hulk then tries to go over, and you just carried on. I 
what you should know at home, listeners, is there's a secret signal Rob can give me at any point where we stop the podcast and he picks me up on these things. He could have done that now, but he chose to, and I'm not going to put this lightly, he chose to publicly so humiliate funny. me uh, in front of everyone. How does it not register that you just blocked the sound oh. coming out of your mouth? Man, if you could feel the itchiness of my nose because of my fantastic oh. moustache, you'd understand. But you, so don't you need to trim it down, that's only, what needs to happen. You only think about you know yourself. What? You know what I had to do the other day? What? Speaking of trimming... I had to trim my eyebrows. No, oh, that I, I do that. old do. man. I've never had to do it before in my life, but I was having wayward eyebrows yeah, that were getting in my yeah. vision and had to trim my eyebrows. I'm I, so old now. I, I do it regularly. It makes me look way more blonde. Don't get old, <laughs> kids. Uh, we know how many of you are listening to this. Wait we love you. you. Don't get old. Just don't age. Just wait, stop wait, aging. Don't don't get to the point where you have to shave your ears. It's not fun. Anyway. Right. What, were you, what were you saying? What was I saying <clears> before this... <laughs> <laughs> Frankly, massive unneeded palaver. Uh, Johnson's focus on making the show an adult drama was reflecting in the ratings. Whilst widely popular with children, the Incredible Hulk's top demographic of viewers uh, were adult men, uh, adult women, teenagers, and then children. So it was primarily a show for adults, funnily enough. Yeah, that very, very much. Kids would be. I can remember being mildly bored by the show as a child. <laughs> Until the Hulk arrived. <laughs> that is right. Yeah, I, I like that. He goes, we, we're, we're appealing to adults and children. You can tell we're doing this because the children are bored for fifty percent of yeah, the show. Yeah, the children, the children stick around until the the Hulk arrives, and the rest of the time it's not like a comic book at all. And no. I was, mm, what was it? We were talking about the Batman nineties animated my, series. My 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 godson. Oh, I love this. So. So bored by the Bruce Tim Batman. So bored by it. What was it? You said there's he... all these men in suits talking, and it was because they're all because they 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 have this like 1930s style to it all. Yeah. And you have to kind of wait through like a crime drama for then bat. In some episodes, Batman's not in it a lot. Yeah. And that must have been one of the ones that was on, and he was just out of his mind bored so we put on the the 60s movie and he loved it oh the 60s movie is great 60s tv show is great but the the 90s one is a special one where it's like who is this aimed at this is aimed at pure batman fans who are happy to watch a cartoon like me yeah it's weird isn't it it was yeah. it was very very popular very um, popular at the time and it did have lots of sci-fi elements to it, and, and it got it more and more sci-fi as it went along. But I think right at the start, yeah, I don't know, I don't know what they were up to. Maybe we'll cover but, it when we get around to doing Master <clears throat> the Phantasm one day. Oof, maybe, yeah, maybe <laughs> that 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 will be not only delving into DC but deep into DC. <laughs> I can't, I just can't see how it relates to Marvel. Maybe someone can convince me. We'll do it. We need more uh, wood for the fire, Rob. You know this. <laughs> Marvel's a good old big treadmill, <clears throat> but it's going to run out soon. Anyway, back to Incredible Hulk. Kenneth Johnson had never been a regular reader or fan of comic books, uh, and as a result, had little knowledge or interest in the genre. Johnson was assigned to develop and produce a series largely as a result of his work on the hugely successful Six Million Dollar Man TV series and its spin-off, The Bionic Woman, which heavily featured comic book slash superheroic elements. Do you remember watching those as a kid? I never watched them. My mum wow, told me about really? them. But I, I, I know 
I know that the, the tropes of that te- of those TV shows, like the sound effect and everything, mm, from like sitcoms and, and movies spoofing them and stuff. Yeah, well, mainly The Simpsons. The Simpsons is responsible for most of my American cultural touchstones, so obviously they touched on that. I don't remember seeing a lot. I don't remember seeing a lot of it as a kid. I remember seeing bits of it. Um, I think like Dukes of Hazard was kind of more on TV than the Bionic, the, the Six Million Dollar Man. Never it? saw that either. Never saw Dukes oh. of Hazard. Um, just a quick, I mean, I don't know where you got this from, but comic books are not a genre. They are a medium. Like, that's as ridiculous as saying the genre of all television. God, it was like talking um, to Moss from the IT crowd for a second. It's very important. It's very important. Jen, because I think the, idea, <laughs> the idea that comic books are just one thing is insulting. Um, because superheroes do not, I mean, they dominate the comic book medium, but that's not the only thing. There's lots of uh, wonderful comics out there that have nothing to do with science fiction or fantasy or superheroes. Let's move on. Let's move on before we get bogged down by semantics. Uh, Kenneth Johnson it's, also it's changed... It's a very important point to make, Will. It's, I know. I know. I know. Kenneth Johnson also changed the name, and more importantly, of the Hulk's uh, comic book alter ego, Dr. Bruce Banner, to Dr. David Banner for the television series. The change was made, according to Johnson, because he did not want the series to be perceived as a comic book series. So he wanted to change what he felt was a staple of comic books, and Stan Lee's comics in particular, that major characters frequently had alliterative names. Bruce ultimately became uh, Banner's middle name, as it has been in the comics, but is visible on the on Banner's tombstone at the end of the uh, pilot movie, and that footage is shown at the beginning of every episode of the series. It's just like a really petty thing to do in my mind. I really think it was petty. There, it's there, one character. Yeah. It's not like every character is going to have an alliterative name. I think I, well, I was looking this up, and I remember this hearing this at the time. There was an urban myth that they changed it because... Bruce was a, a gay name and they didn't want it and which was horrific if true but apparently that was just an urban myth and mm. it really was just down to alliteration really I didn't mm. what was 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 alliteration literative names that much of a of a trope with comics at that time because I always um yeah 100% like it really really was but I think you'd have to be someone that reads a lot of comics to kind of have that in your mind. Yeah, which makes no sense because he doesn't read yeah, comics. Yeah, and, and he's not making this aimed at the comic book audience. And it's only going to be one... Like, to, so you could look... If, you're, if you've got in your... You've got Peter Parker and Reed Richards mm. and Bruce Banner and, you know, maybe, but you've only got one... And if it's DC, you've got Clark Kent, Lois Lane, Lana Lang... Um, but if you just got one character with one alliterative name, then I don't see what the issue is. Exactly. Other than you're a petty little man. <laughs> In an interview with Kenneth Johnson, he, he explained that he had also wanted the Hulk to be coloured red rather than green. His reasons given for this were that red, not green, is perceived as the colour of rage and that red is a human colour, whereas green is not. However, Stanley said that the Hulk's colour was not something that could be changed because of its iconic image. Would have been devastating mm. for Marvel Comics if the the popular TV series didn't look like... It would have been... People would not have ever bothered. They wouldn't have made the connection nope. between this and... The, and if it's not a green monster, it would have been devastating for the comic book side of things. Absolutely. And also... It would have looked horrific. You think it would have looked worse? No, like scarier. If he was big and red, it would have looked demonic. 
Mm, I suppose so, yeah. I, I, I reckon as a kid yeah. I would have found that really frightening. But that's just me. Uh, the whole strength is far more limited than in the comic book as well, which uh, Johnson felt was necessary for the show to be taken seriously by viewers. And it's kind of interesting uh, to look back on that because when you watch, say, The Avengers and you're seeing the Hulk doing absolute massive damage uh, and being this ubermensch or whatever, you know, like really, really uh, overpowered, then you, then you have Lou Ferrigno shoving over Be- cars and ripping off car doors beating up a car bonnet yeah of car, which is still impressive but it's like it's a different level it's a totally different level it's really hard to comprehend <clears throat> there are i mean there's there's so much of that in this series that it really does feel completely different to the comic books yeah yeah it's you know they pretty having, having like david having him being called david banner yeah having him his job and his origin being completely different and having the strength being just like, he's a bit stronger. <laughs> like it's, um, yeah, it's a very, it's a very big marker that it was, that it's, this really feels like a completely different kind of world. Oh, absolutely. Arnold Schwarzenegger was, uh, he, he did edition for the role of the Hulk, but was rejected due to his inadequate height. According to uh, Johnson in the documentary on the incredible Hulk original, uh, television premiere DVD release, uh, actor Richard Keel was hired for the role as well. Uh, do you remember Richard Keel? Yeah, Jaws. Jaws from uh, James Bond. Uh, during... And the bizarre fan in uh, Happy Gilmore. Happy, I remember him popping up in Happy Gilmore and going, is that, is that Jaws? Anyway. He's also a wrestler for years as well. Doesn't surprise me. He he wrestled as Jaws. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant! It, it was only kind of like I don't think he was ever on TV, but he would come to like he wouldn't actually do much wrestling, but he would come out on a a, a wrestling live show in Britain would be able to advertise plus Jaws um, from the Bond movies, and Richard Kill would come out and he'd have like the funny teeth yeah. and his whole he would slowly walk to the ring, he would grab someone, he might hit them with a karate chop, and he'd definitely bite them. <laughs> And then the place would go mad. It, I, have to, I, have to, I have to do a tangent on Jaws. It was such, it, again, another weird thing from your childhood to watch something like this on screen and go, that's scary. Because it was just that yeah, whole thing. Yeah, Jaws, when he bit people to death. Yeah. Oh, it, was, it, was, yeah. it was just that. I always remember it, you know, the uh, the bad guys introducing, talking to two henchmen. One of them's a normal looking bloke who looks quite tough. And then you see this human towering guy. And he just looks bulky. And then when suddenly he smiles, you see these horrible metallic teeth. And it's like, oh, it's it's still yeah. still puts you on edge. Making him a comedy character in Moonraker. Yes. What a crime. What a crime of a movie that is. It's, it's, it's uh, like a disappointing sequel to The Spy Who Loved Me, isn't it? It's just a disappointing movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, but apparently Richard Kill... Uh, during filming, Kenneth Johnson's own son pointed out that Kill's tall but underdeveloped physique did not resemble the Hulks at all. So soon, Kill was replaced with professional bodybuilder Lou Ferrigno. And uh, Lou Ferrigno had been an avid fan of the comic book series well before becoming involved in the TV series. Ferrigno often credited the Hulk character in helping to inspire him to overcome the difficulties he faced related to his hearing, disability and other personal issues. Don't How? How, Lou Ferrigno, how does the Hulk <laughs> help you overcome being a bit deaf? Lou Ferrigno, could you please come round and show your working? Rob wants to see show you to show your working. I don't know. There's this famous 
it's kind of documentary on, on on wrestling, and they interview this like mad fan, and she's talking about how much the wrestler Bret Hart has helped her. Yeah. And she's like so desperately wants to have a reason. She says, and 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 it's because of him that I'm going to computer college. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? He's never once talked about loving education or computer schools. How has that helped you? Man. And I, I always think of that whenever I hear something like this, which makes does not track and makes no sense. Man, just, ah, just... yes, the Hulk, the superhero comic about the guy who goes mad and smashes stuff up, helped me come to terms with being deaf. Hey, when <laughs> what? You... Maybe, maybe Rob, they love something so much that it inspires them through no proximity of that inspiration, just to do something they want to do. At which point... No, that doesn't make any sense. At which point... It's, yeah, it doesn't make any sense, but that's the power I of love, fandom. I love that's pasta the so much, um, uh, <laughs> I've decided to go to university. What are you talking about? <laughs> stupid people everywhere. Yeah. Okay. Lou Ferrigno, I'm calling you stupid. I don't think... Next point. don't think he'd disagree with you, mate. He's not about the brains, is he? In 2000, Stan Lee remarked on the show, saying the Hulk was done intelligently. It was done by Ken Johnson, who's brilliant writer, producer, director, and he made it an intelligent adult show that kids could he, enjoy. He doesn't like you, Stan. He hated comic books and he hated your influence. <laughs> you might as well be talking Stop, to Mark it, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. He doesn't love you, Stan. He doesn't love you. God, what is he wrong hates, with you today? He hates everything you've written, Stan. He hates it. This is one of the the, the effects of long COVID. You turned a bit twatty. <laughs> <laughs> what else did Stan say about his best mate, Kenneth Johnson, who hated him? <laughs> Stan... Anything that's successful, Stan wants his name attached to. Like that's that's just how it is. Yeah, that's true. He took a comic book character and made him somewhat plausible. Women liked it, and men liked it, and teenagers liked it. It was beautifully done. He changed it quite a bit from the comic book, but every change he made made sense. Really? What about the name? <laughs> Stan's not one to talk. He keeps in the early years. He keeps forgetting Bruce Banner's name in the comic, oh, and yeah, has yeah, yeah. has him called Bob, Bob, which forced them to change this real is 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 like his name to go. Oh, um, I guess his name is Robert Bruce Banner. Uh, otherwise, we just have to admit that Stanley is not really paying attention. That's so bad. CBS tried to push at times to steer the series more to using full sci-fi fantasy elements, i.e. aliens from outer space and other superpowered villains. According to Lou Ferrigno, Bill Bixby always fought back to maintain the show's more realist, realistic and dramatic format. What do you think about that, Rob? Because that's quite... That's, that's <clears> an interesting <throat> point. I think it was also Kenneth Johnson... For, right, so I've watched a whole documentary with Kenneth Johnson and all the crew, and... Kenneth Johnson said he was also doing that as well. Yeah. That... I'm not sure if Bill Bixby was pushing back because here we are in this so this series, the, the TV... So once the series ends, Kenneth Johnson is no longer involved. It's mainly Bill Bixby. And then he's like, God of Thunder! <laughs> and uh, all that kind of stuff. So a lot more sci-fi elements coming in. Yeah. Um, what do I think about it in general? I, I, I understand... Uh, um, the general public it's not a case now but up until like the early 2000s sci-fi was such a looked down upon genre that 
it was very difficult to get the general public to swallow it. Um, I I feel an awful lot of Lost was walking a tightrope to try and get a general broader audience to come in to this show about pretty people surviving on a desert island or a deserted island, and then every now and then going, and there's some science fiction for you, but just not a lot. Shh, I think, a little I think bit of it. The X-Files did all right, didn't it, in the 90s? But that was kind of seen as like a quirky, almost like novelty thing, rather than anything to actually get really get deep into. Yeah, the X-Files was an absolute smash hit, and... and um, I it, I think it wore its but it but it began with this thing of suspicion towards science fiction almost it was like yeah. are these things real though it wasn't ah like, there we go to begin with to begin with the X Files was not here's a bunch of aliens it was it was like here's a strange UFO mystery mm. and one guy says it's real and the other person says no it's not. And then, like, within a few years, it was like, vampires and a stretchy man, and aliens Oof. are definitely real, and I'm pregnant by them. <laughs> oh, that stretchy man. Ooh. Was it Victor oh. Tombs? Oh, what an episode. Yeah. Terrifying. Terrifying. Great show. Um, but yeah, that makes sense. In 1984, two years after the series went off air, Bill Bixby offered Nicholas Hammond a chance to reply as his titular role from The Amazing Spider-Man 1977 TV series, in a proposed Hulk Spider-Man TV movie crossover that would have been distributed by Universal Pictures and Columbia Pictures. Hammond agreed to the offer, but Universal Studios eventually cancelled the project, claiming that Lou Ferrigno was unavailable. However, Ferrigno said that he was late. He was never contacted about the project and no, had no knowledge of it until he discovered the information while working on his autobiography in 2003. There's nothing else written about this anywhere. Yeah. It's, it's a very odd. It would have been amazing, and it would seem very doable. But yeah. uh, I, I I find it weird that I, there's a, probably another reason that Universal didn't want to do it. Probably. Anyway. Six years after the original CBS series was cancelled, The Incredible Hulk was revived as a series of feature-length TV movies. Unlike the preceding series, which was produced by the uh, by MCA slash Universal, this film was uh, and the following two sequels were produced by New World Television. New World was Marvel's owner at the time and Bill Bixby's production outfit, which, in association with NBC, took over the Hulk franchise from former broadcaster CBS. We've talked an awful lot about New World Television. Yes, yeah, New World well, bought, bought Marvel, um, and uh, and all these things. They were buying up, um, gobbling up uh, TV um, stations all over America, and putting together an uh, incredible network of uh, media and television and movie production studios and all sorts. Yes, New World are a big big feature player in Marvel. Yeah, and it wasn't until the 21st century when they were gobbled up by Disney. Just mm. gobbling up. It's just gobbling up, mate. Bill Bixby recruited Nicholas Correa, who wrote and or directed many episodes of the Incredible Hulk TV series, to write and direct The Incredible Hulk Returns. Stan Lee was a consultant on the film. Kenneth Johnson, the uh, creator and executive producer and sometimes writer-director of the TV series, was not invited to contribute to the film. Johnson was was strongly opposed to creating Hulk stories with sci-fi and fantasy elements, so it's reasonable to think he would not approve of seeing the Hulk fighting Thor. Yeah, it's interesting, mm-hmm. isn't it, to revive the whole franchise without the guy that created it? Well, this, this, this makes me think of Gene Roddenberry and Star Trek. 
Mm. You remember the first Star Trek film, Star Trek the Motion Picture? Yeah. That was Gene Roddenberry who did that. What, what's your thoughts on that film? Roddenberry. Roddenberry. Oh, Roddenberry. Roddenberry. There's a, there's a D in it, I think. Rodden, I'll say Roddenberry. Cool. Roddenberry. You've seen the Star Trek The Motion Picture. What are your thoughts on that film? It's one of the worst movies yes. I've ever seen in my life. Absolutely. They, some people called it yeah. Star Trek The Static Picture because it was so boring. Um, mm. But the thing is, that was Gene Roddenberry <clears throat> directing it. And then they did Star Trek II Wrath of Khan with another director because they had to wrestle him away. So sometimes, even if you have some a, 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 a property that's incredible, sometimes you have to wrestle it away from the original creator. Does it, does it a very distinct point in Star Trek The Next Generation when it gets good and it's after Roddenberry dies. That's when you start to get the Borg and his very strict rules on how the future should be portrayed as well yeah, um, did I, not help the series. I need um, what, Do you know what series that is? Because I tried watching the, the uh, Next Generation. I loved some of it, but it still felt like it was stuck in the 1960s era i'd have to have a look at yeah i mean rick berman takes over as executive producer and i think was when we start to get like these cool two-parters like best of both worlds where Mm. picard is kidnapped by the borg and stuff like that but really if you want a good way a good way into the star trek the modern kind of star trek stuff it's deep space nine Deep Space Nine is really good from the start all the way through. It is Everyone the says first. That. It's the first project that isn't conceived by Roddenberry. It's conceived by Rick Berman and another executive producer, and it's it's like apartheid themes, occupation themes, guerrilla war fighters. Um, uh, it's just it's just, plus m- maybe a, a cosmic messiah. It's just great. It's just really good. But that's 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 the point. I made. <clears throat> sometimes you do have to wrestle power away from the person who originally yeah. created it to create something good. The television movie, uh, as you can probably guess, acted as a backdoor pilot for an unproduced television series featuring Thor. Backdoor pilot being. Backdoor pilot being you introduce a character into an existing franchise with the hopes of them getting their own TV show. Rather than doing a a pilot, yeah. rather than doing a Thor pilot on its own, which would have to attract a fresh audience, you use a popular franchise and have an episode where they meet a new character and establish what would be the premise of a new show in the popular thing. Um, quite noticeably, there'd be something like... Um, Right, so CSI Miami, the main couple of characters of CSI Miami, first appeared in the regular CSI series, and they had an episode in Miami with all of these characters, and the public liked it, and so they went, great, now we can launch CSI Miami. And then you had The Firm, which then was, I don't know if it was a spin-off or a backdoor pilot or something, but it uh, went into Boston Legal, didn't it, I think? The movie, the film, not the movie, the film, not not the film, the uh, TV show. I've never heard of a TV show called The Film, but Pat, well, maybe, yeah, whatever. <laughs> You've heard of Boston Legal, though. That's sort of. It's fun. Shatner's in it. Shatner and Spader, they're great. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. Bill Bixby hadn't acted for the past four years until he uh, made The Incredible Hulk Returns in 1988 due to very. Tragic family events. Do you know the tragic family events? Well, I, I didn't know whether to say them or not. Uh, rough, I, man. Yeah, they were rough. Do you want me to say? Yeah, no, let's not. It's, let's, it's not it, they're quite depressing. You can look them up online. I, 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 I thought about including them, but it's just like, we don't want to hear about that just before we gonna get onto some Although fun it does, Hulk. It does mirror an episode of The Incredible Hulk, weirdly and bizarrely. Weird. 
Thor yeah. actor Eric Allen Kramer had has fond memories working on the TV movie. I had followed most of the Marvel comics as a kid growing up, so I knew pretty much what I was getting into. I think there was just a pressure to get in shape. I just I had gotten the role and I was in okay shape anyway, but I wanted to get in better shape and I didn't have a lot of time before filming started. I started hitting the gym fairly heavily. I remember being at the first photo session with Lou Ferrigno. We're standing together and I'd been trying my damnedest to get in shape, but Lou was huge. I remember, <laughs> Lou, I remember Lou at one point turning to me and saying, so do you work out? <laughs> Maybe not enough, Lou. <laughs> Brilliant. I like that. This film... Finally, this film is the first time another character from the Marvel Universe or any genuinely supernatural or otherworldly events uh, elements appeared in the universe of the Incredible Hulk TV series. This kind of crossover also never happened in the 70s Spider-Man or Captain America TV franchises. So we're seeing the, the birth of an expanded universe, introducing yes. more characters. Very MCU-esque. Let's take a, a trip behind the page now to look at the, the comic book side of these two perennial characters that clash so often. Hulk versus Thor is pretty much the eternal comic book debate, the eternal superhero debate. Who is stronger? Who would win in a fight? And it's really the debate amongst fans that has spurred Marvel to create dozens and dozens of stories about the two fighting over the decades um, that started right in the, in the you know it's almost as soon as they were introduced, and it's been spun off then into <clears throat> toys and video games, TV movies, animated movies, and then cinematic movies. It is the longest standing, you know, grudge match in the history of superheroes, and it's all driven by fans arguing for one hero. Or, or the other, and with with every single one of those fans absolutely convinced that they are right and everyone else is wrong, <laughs> which is how <laughs> fandom works. Mm. Debating um, if one fictional character can beat another one, it's taken very, very seriously with uh, with a lot of fans. It's It, it can be light-hearted and playful and fun, it can also delve into slightly more weirdly aggressive and toxic. I don't quite understand why. It's never made much sense to me. But it's been around with with, with comic book fans since probably the creation of, of Superman. And one of the earliest fan debates would, would be who would win if Superman ever fought his more popular competitor of the age, Captain Marvel, mm. um, known these days as Shazam. Um, that was perhaps the earliest because they were so similar and both so powerful. That was perhaps the very first kind of comic book superhero who would win, who was stronger debate. And then as Marvel rose to popularity in the nineteen in nineteen sixties, the there was a big question uh, like this: who would win, who is stronger? But the first one that was had was who would win if the thing fought the Hulk? That was the big question. <laughs> the thing from the Fantastic Four was very, very popular, and the Hulk was presented as a very powerful, strong dude. Um, and fans flooded the Marvel offices with, with this question, constantly writing letters 
Who is stronger? Who would win in a fight? Surely Hulk could beat the Thing. Surely Thing could beat the Hulk. Um, and that's a sure sign that you can sell a lot of copies of a comic if you put it on the cover and put it in the issue. And so in response, they had a they had a, a, a skirmish before this, but the the first real fight um, between the Hulk and the Thing by Stanley and Jack Kirby touted as the battle of the century. It was 1964, <laughs> Fantastic Four, issue 25, and then also it concluded in 26. What's so funny? It, it just sounds like a fictional boxing promoter. Yeah, that's that's it's it's not that dissimilar. It is. It does sound like he's a boxing promoter, but with fictional <clears throat> characters. I just well, I just that's found why that... they've chosen Battle of the Century to make yeah. it sound like a boxing. Yeah, thing. I like it. Um, and this this answered that that question of who the, who was the who was the, the strongest of the two. The Hulk pounded on on the thing, and the thing kind of admits, and everyone can see very clearly, the Hulk is stronger than the thing. Mm. Um, it's not like the fight. The, the, the fight kind of gets interrupted by the Fantastic Four and the Avengers, but it's pretty clear. It's it's pretty uh, made quite obvious there, and that was the thing's power level never really went up to put him in contention with the thing, the, the Hulk, and that question was never really asked ever again. And very quickly after getting their answer on this question is that the Marvel fans had to have something else to argue about. So they moved on this time. Once we've solved that question, they moved on to, well, what would happen if the Hulk fought Thor? That's the one we really want to know about. Um, And despite Thor being initially presented as stronger than the Hulk in, in, in the early days which we'll, we'll get onto in this episode, we'll talk about, the Hulk proved to be vastly more popular with readers than Thor ever was. And that results then in almost protecting the character, right? Mm. Several occasions where the Hulk and Thor are presented as being on equal footing. And that drove some fans mad. Completely <laughs> insane. If you think arguments... Like on Twitter and Reddit about who's stronger. This one's overpowered. This one would never win because of one thing that happened in one issue once. If you think that these arguments on Twitter and Reddit are immensely dumb, and they are, yeah, they are. Yeah, it's nothing new. I'll tell you something though. Whenever whenever these arguments uh, come up, no, you get to go back into your flow in a bit, young man. Cool. <laughs> You're looking at me with rage. They're, they're, whenever these arguments come up, and Batman's one of them, they always ask the follow-up question, which is, "How much prep time does he have?" Which I always mm. found funny. Yeah. So if you think these arguments on Twitter and Reddit are dumb, and they are, it's nothing new. Here is a letter written to Marvel in the mid 1960s by a fan called Get Ready, Crombie Sproul. <laughs> That's a character. First name, first name Crombie, last name Sproul. That's a character from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And the letter reads thus: Having all your characters equal in strength is quite ridiculous. Old Hulky looks the strongest, acts the toughest, and certainly talks like he can browbeat even the strongest foe. So why not have him be the fall guy in the hallowed ranks? Ever since I've been following him. He's tackled just about every other... He's a cool cat, this Crumbie. Every other <laughs> Marvel character in comicdom, including possibly the two strongest characters, the Submariner and the Thing. 
But no matter whom he fights, or any other power-packed Pumbaa who's a proclaimed <laughs> hero, nobody ever wins. There should be somebody around whom just about everybody is scared of. And to me, all green skin is the logical choice. Um, this was a sampling. <laughs> he's, he's got some great. He's got some great turns of phrases. There's, there's a great lingo going on, isn't there? It feels like I'm reading Catcher in the Rye. <laughs> um, <laughs> the um, <laughs> th- this was just a sampling of the fury that was unleashed when it seemed that Hulk and Thor were on the same level and this letter prompted Hulk editorial staff in the letter page to proclaim that the Hulk is stronger than everybody else in Marvel except for Thor who is his equal ah. so they're being put on exactly the same pedestal and, 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 and ranking there and whereas Hulk versus Thing definitively answered that question and showed the Hulk was the strongest not getting a conclusive answer in the debate between Hulk and Thor seemed to have driven the readers nuts. They they <laughs> they moved on quite happily from Hulk thing debate because it was answered. Yeah. They could not accept the idea that Hulk and Thor were equally powerful. That was not something they were willing either side was willing to have. And I think there is definitely something inside these a lot of these fans like readers and viewers you know they they just have to know who is stronger there's a huge amount of them and it's like some sort of league table yeah and they absolutely will not have it that there isn't an answer to that question they cannot stand that there's not an answer to who is stronger and who is who would win in a fight and this has lasted throughout from the 60s on through to today and it fuels the desire to see these two characters fight again and again and again it's happened and we've got stats at the end of the episode we're having a definitive answer by the way oh good good i like who will win in a fight there is an answer we've got it close the day end of this episode don't go anywhere we've got stats we've got figures but the fact that they don't have that, it, it it fuels the desire to see it, which is why the Hulk and Thor have fought dozens and dozens and dozens of times in the comics. Um, this movie is the is the first time the Behemoths have clashed on the screen, but it's certainly not the last. Um, there's an episode of the 1996 Incredible Hulk cartoon series that features Hulk fighting Thor. Um, in 2009, they did battle in an animated movie, direct-to-DVD, that's just called Hulk vs. Thor, um, which also had an online game where they, where they fought each other. Uh, in 2010's um, cartoon series, Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes, they, 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 they do battle in that. Several episodes of the kind of more kiddified um, cartoon series Superhero, uh, Superhero Squad Show, which Marvel, where they've all kind of like like much more cartoony, you know what I mean? Like yeah. kind of they're, they're almost like mini characters, uh, miniature, yeah, yeah, yeah. bumping around characters. I can't think how to describe it quite. But that was a, a 2011 one. Then, of course, the year after that, 2012, Hulk and Thor have a little dust up briefly in the Avengers movie. Mm-hmm. 
2013, another Avengers cartoon, Avengers Assemble. They have a fight in that, several fights in that. 2014, Hulk gets another cartoon series called Hulk Agents of Smash. <laughs> Thor turns up, guess what? They have a fight. And then, of course, there is uh, 2017 Thor Ragnarok, where they are literally pitted against each other as gladiators fighting for the amusement and entertainment of a rabid fandom in an arena, which is quite an interesting little uh, analogy. And right now, in, in 2022, there is an ongoing Marvel comic being published called Hulk vs. Thor Banner of War. Ooh. That is on newsstands. Well, newsstand. It's not on newsstands. That hasn't happened in thirty-eight years. <laughs> I was about um, to say, what are you talking about? It is an eternal debate. It's a debate that rages on. A debate that will not end. A conversation that will not go away. Marvel fans since the nineteen sixties to this very day have almost continuously being argued who is the strongest of them all, and we've got an answer. We always want to hear from you guys. We want to know who you think would win in a fight, Hulk versus Thor. We want to know what you thought of the Morbius episode of the uh, Ms. Marvel series that's still rocking and rolling. Um, drop us a message, marvel versus marvel at gmail.com. Or indeed, you can send us um, a little bit of shorter love if you head to Twitter, where we are at Marvel versus. Well, what's in the MVM mailbag? this episode we've got quite a few in this time george bingham writes in to say hi guys i just bought an mvm logo t-shirt and i'm so excited to wear it it's amazing amazing how far this podcast has come and how there is now merchandise for marvel versus marvel <coughs> thanks for the discount that was really great when buying the shirt keep doing what you're doing Thank you, George. Um, discounts are only available for our amazing supporters at the Do the Right Thing tier. Those are the uh, the cool cats that um, pledge twenty pounds a month to this show, meaning they get a a big fat twenty percent discount. Um, we're very pleased to be able to do that for them. We're also creating exclusive video content for the Do the Right Thing tier. Um, as soon as I've seen the new Thor movie, mm. me and Will are going to get together and create a video all about our reactions to that. I saw it last got? night. I can't wait to talk to you about it. Sean Burks also wrote in to say, I spent all of June waiting for my payday at the end of the month so I could join in with everyone else and get my MVM t-shirt. I've never felt the need to buy merch from a podcast before, but no other podcast gives me hours and hours of entertainment That's each week. That's right. That's yeah. right, Sean. That's right. That's how it is. That's how it is, Sean. Thanks for all the amazing episodes, guys. I can't wait for my shirt to arrive. Please make more merch. I want a sort of but not really shirt and maybe bring back the Gumbo Kid. Gumbo Kid forever. What was Gumbo uh, Kid again? Gumbo Kid. I don't know. It was something really weird you said once. I don't remember. You're you're the gumbo child or the well, gumbo, gumbo kid. Gumbo child. I think it was an insult against me. At least it wasn't good boy get his treats. <clears throat> That's never happening. That's never happening, Will. <laughs> Sophie 3000 uh, said, I only discovered this podcast in March this year, and I think I'm obsessed. 
As you should be. I, I know how it feels to be obsessed by a podcast, believe me. I've just finished listening to all of the amazing MCU episodes because the MCU is what got me into Marvel in the first place. I'm too young for most of the other stuff and I've never seen a comic book shop in my life. But it's so cool learning all the history and it's so cool that this show wants to introduce people to the comic books and not just say you're not a real fan because you only watch the movies. I hate that. We hate We're- that. We We're massively against that. Yeah. Uh, hashtag no gatekeeping. No gatekeeping. Um, there's a certain type of, of uh, pathetic, small person that wants to gatekeep cool stuff like comic books from the rest of the world. Absolutely. And we don't like that, Sophie. We don't like them. I'm now listening to all the X-Men movies in order because they are my second favourites after the MCU. Do you guys think I would like the old X-Men cartoon? I know you've made episodes about it, but is it still good to watch even though it's outdated now? What do you think? That hurts my soul, Sophie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know, I, I guess it is old, I guess, but ouch. Um, yeah, I yeah. think you'd like it. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, I think, I think it, 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 it can be sometimes hard to say with a show that you enjoyed so much as a kid or something, you watch it as an adult, it can sometimes be hard to look at it objectively and say, it, oh, it's still good. But I think it really is still very good. Yeah, I, I went through the entire thing uh, when it came on Disney Plus. I went just 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 for all time's sake. Went oh, you know, short episodes. There's not too many of them. I'll go through them. And there, okay, there were times where it's like I'm literally just watching a Saturday morning cartoon. But other times it was like this is really good. It's a really good example of uh, comic book yeah. cartoons. <clears throat> and there are. I mean, when you say there's not too many of them, there's like five seasons. <laughs> yeah, but they're like twenty minutes each yeah true you can zip through them so quickly uh i'm just i i say that as someone who watches prestige tv drama where it's like an hour per episode i'm Mm. like oh god please 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 keep making this podcast especially mcu episodes and today i ordered a t-shirt i hope i can wear it and meet you both one day Thank you, Sophie. Um, yeah, hopefully we've got more live stuff in our future. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't, I don't uh, look. You guys want to want to make sure we stick around and keep keep making episodes. Buy a t shirt, sign up on Patreon, send us some love and an email or a tweet. Let us know you're out there and let us know you want us to keep going and keep downloading and stuff. I don't think we're ever going to stop, really. And tell everyone um, you know that loves Marvel to give us a listen. And we're certainly not going to stop with the MCU stuff. You know, we obviously don't can't do an, an MCU episode every every week, um, but we definitely have. Uh, we just dropped Guardians of the Galaxy not too long ago. Yep. we've got Thor Ragnarok coming up in, in before the end of the year. So very exciting stuff. Absolutely, Peter J has thoughts on the Incredible Hulk. I knew he would. He would. He's piped. That old Peter J's piped up, has he? Has he piped he would up? Because he's the. I think he's the oldest person that listens to the show. So <laughs> he. He has fond memories of um, the, the 1970s series. Of course. So firstly, let me say that I truly love this trilogy of Hulk movies, of which this is the first. Secondly, let me quickly say that this movie also includes an appearance by the most important machine in the universe. And now you know mm. that you too can look for it in sci-fi movies oh God. from the 70s to the 90s. And maybe beyond, I don't really know. Google it. There must be YouTube videos about it. Anyway. Do you you want to know about this? Come on, Rob. Let's hear about it. It's just like a background prop that shows up in a Star Trek movie. Mm. I think it shows up in Wrath of Khan, right? Yeah. And it's it's just red light tubes moving light back and forth. It's a prop. 
It's not doesn't. It's not even an, an, a, a plot based prop. It's and for some reason, it then is used in dozens of different sci fi movies and TV shows over the next thirty years. I think I know the in the background mean, yeah. or whatever. Um, and people do that thing of going, well, because it shows up in all these different sci fi franchises. And no one talks about what the machine does because it's not anything. It's not part of the story. It's just a prop, and apparently it's in in this. I I didn't spot it myself because I don't I don't know. I I think it's one of those things where it, it gets pushed into that part of your mind uh, that goes next to tropes, and you know you know oh. like you know like in sci fi old sci fi movies in the fifties you always have the Tesla coils with the electricity coming yeah. between. Yeah, it's, it's like that. It's like yeah. that. You, you, you don't but it's not a it. real thing. But it's not a real but thing. Yeah, if you if you Google most important machine in the universe, um, there is definitely blogs and YouTube videos about it. It does sound like an SCP from my spooky podcast. Anyway, on with on with why I hate these movies. No. Sorry, why I hate why I love these movies. Sorry, there's just we, we, there's there there was some negativity early in the podcast. It's sunk in subconsciously. I don't know what's gone on there. You've read the word love twice and said hate. Did I ever tell you about? How my mind sometimes autocorrects work uh, things I yeah I, yeah really I worked with weird. you for over two years it's bizarre yeah I, I I find it bizarre too and I live with it anyway on with why I love these movies by today's standards these movies are not that <clears throat> are not that great at all but as a kid these movies and TV shows were all you had and I think you loved them regardless of their faults because they were live action versions of your favorite characters. And this one is also a return to a great character and a wonderful TV show with a cracking actor at the helm with the added bonus of Thor. I think he's right in that mm. Bill Bixby's a terrific actor. He, he really is. He has, he has he that really old star quality. Uh, he, he grounds this series mm. and this, this character and, and this movie and stuff. And he really puts an awful lot of dramatic weight and things, in, an emotional weight into things, in a way that in someone else's hands, it would be hokey, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. I love I love watching him in it. And for me personally, it has Tim Thomason as the bad guy in it, and I'm a massive Trancers fan, so so far as this movie looks like, it was made for me. It's just very... Uh, just it, with Peter J, that I don't know what that's a reference to. It'll be something very obscure from I've, the 80s. I've heard of Trancers, but... That's you yeah. here and there. Lou looks amazing and even more Hulk-like in it too. We have Donald Blake in it as the grave-robbing doctor who releases Thor. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Thor and Hulk fight. Thor and the Hulk fight, and Banner is still being chased by the overly obsessed reporter. Then they team up, and we get a wondrous Hulk movie with some great fight sequences. In one of which, Hulk uses a steel girder as a weapon. I still love this bit. My favourite Thor bits include the power to stop cabs with his voice and the power to smell people and evildoers. His over his over the topness and drinking problems are up there too. All three of these movies were great and are a treat. I cannot wait till you do the next two. As always, keep up the great work. It's an awesome show. Thank you, Peter J. In more ways than one, really, because Peter J is part of the, the elites, the world-class wrecking crew around here. Yes. The people that on that top, top, top tier on a Patreon, contribute the most money and help us in the most in, in, in the biggest way. The keepers here on the air that fund all the cool things we like to try and do around here. I'm talking about Peter J, but I'm also talking about Mikey W, Randall Schmidt, George Bingham, Zach Thomas, Bass De Beer, Sam, and Bindi. The uh, the real the real money movers, the real 
moolah shakers <laughs> who go to patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel and they decide to not just consume what we do but to contribute look over 150 goddamn hours in the archive yep. for you no one does it like we do we give and we give and we give on this podcast three and a half hours on the death of Gwen Stacy oh. and the the Andrew Garfield Spider Man three hours on Morbius digging into how memes created and affected such a weird moment in 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 Marvel history the history of Marvel vampires in the Marvel comic books deep dives into Ms Marvel and Moon Knight and every other Disney Plus show to give you what you need on these characters you can pluck over 150 hours of content you can pluck any one of our episodes off the shelf any day any time and just get lost in some marvel history evergreen content nobody does it like we do nobody is looking at this movie now while love and thunder is out in cinemas to take a look at the perennial you know, Thor character, the very first appearance on screen, and to dig into all the things that that means for Marvel. We give and we give, and you just take and take and take. You take us for granted. And, uh, you know, look, we've all been there. Things, shows disappear. They go away. Digital content keeps getting removed from things. How often do you love a podcast and it goes away, or a TV series, and it's not there? YouTube series it happens all the time unless you support it you can do the right thing with marvel versus marvel you head to patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel you pledge you're starting at just three pounds a month and as a way of saying thank you we give back on that patreon with uh, bonus content each and every month um will we we, we took a ride with obscure marvel uh, in the month of july with uh, Ulysses Archer, <laughs> the uh, did you ever think there'd be a truck driving superhero <laughs> that we'd learn about? You know, you know, it's, it's not a matter of I didn't think there wouldn't be. It's just that I wouldn't have imagined it. It's not where my mind would have gone. <laughs> and his amazing superpower to hear radio. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. No, 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 no. To, to, to receive transmissions because everyone can hear radio, mate. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's still just hearing a radio. I know, I know. I'm teasing. Um, and the the mystery of the uh, the what was the the highwayman? Um, I, one of the best obscure Marvel episodes that we've ever done. Obscure Marvel is a spin-off show that we release each and every month for everybody on Patreon. No matter what you pledge, you get access to Obscure Marvel. Um, and that is a show where I expose Will to the most ridiculous and obscure characters in the Marvel Universe. And um, we have a huge amount of fun with it. There's a, uh, a sample episode that you may have caught that we did a couple of months back and we put out for everyone. Uh, obscure Marvel Swarm, where we look at Nazi bees. Um, that's a great sample of, um, of, uh, of what, how much fun we have every month on Obscure Marvel. Everyone gets access to that. And then you move up to uh, the £5 tier. You get early access to every episode the week before it's released. You move up to the £10 VIEP tier. That's the one where you get access to our full-length bonus shows. 
that's where we put out episodes like Onslaught Saga. We put out things like Age of Apocalypse. We put out Secret War. We put out all these incredible Marvel crossover events, comic book events, storylines that probably aren't going to make a, a big appearance. Um, or we use uh, we use it to take an even deeper dive into the Civil War. You know, we came off that mega Civil War episode and mm. realized that we could actually go and do so much more by going through step by step the, uh, the, the comic book version of the superhero Civil War. Um, a great, great, great fun that we have on that each and every month. And this month in July... To uh, give every single one of our supporters at that VIEP tier a deeper dive into Jane Foster, God of Thunder. Look, it's the big movie that's out in the cinemas, Thor, Love and Thunder. And uh, it's no secret that Jane Foster picks up Mjolnir and wields it in that movie. We're going to take a look at one of the greatest Thor stories ever told. One of the best story arcs ever told. The story that inspired the movie, it's only available at the VIEP tier and above on patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. We've taken you behind the scenes, both of the production and of the, uh, the comic book rivalry between the two biggest behemoths in Marvel history. We've heard from the people that matter the most. We've paid some bills. We've let you know that uh, the smartest people in the universe head to offworldtees.com slash Marvel, uh, MVM, and get themselves a uh, an awesome Marvel vs. Marvel t-shirt. We've made sure that we thank the uh, the very important people, Peter J., Mikey W., Randall Schmidt, George Bingham, Zach Thomas, Bastabeer, Sam, and Bindi. The table is fully laid. It's time to sit down, carve up, and devour what is before us and the uh, one and only man that can do that for us is mr will preston absolutely let's press play on this genuine vhs of a film oh it would be yeah 1988 <laughs> this would be a vhs my what was your local uh, vhs mine was that we went to was called video world i can't it remember the name not of a it. chain i can't remember the name of it but it was in stubbington anyway. village where i where i grew up as a lad and it was very small and I remember going in there, and I remember there being Sega Mega Drive games there too, and being excited yeah. at the idea of that. And then, of course, we we uh, went to Blockbuster Video, which was a little drive away. We never had a Blockbuster anywhere near us. Never had a Blockbuster. Um, we had they were magic. A, they were absolutely magic. We had a a posh, a, a, a nicer place, and a more like it was obviously a chain place that opened up years later called Video Action, oh. and uh, that was. Had that great smell. It was air conditioned, and uh, this feels like the future, doesn't it? It's, it's like it's like how we do Netflix now. Just doesn't compare to going walking to a do- shop it, like that. It, it doesn't. I can remember. Um, we'll get onto the film I, in a bit. We're going to reminisce first, man. When I, you know, was first kind of like uh, I had my my, my 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 job working in the cinema, and uh, I had my own little time off and my own little flat, and I would. Uh, I would get a two day, a two and a half day runoff, and I would. It was when pr- the price, the crucial bit was the prices of. It was actually DVDs at this point, but the prices of them had come down to rent. Yes, and and I've got you know money in my pocket from 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 working a good little job, and like when I was a kid, and I would go, okay, I know I'm going to go out and drink on this day and see people on this day. Goes, but at my first day off, I don't want to see anybody, and I would go and rent like four movies. 
<laughs> and uh, it was a great feeling. You'd go, ah, oh, I want to watch that. I want to watch that. I want to watch that. I'm going to spend the first night and maybe start the next day just watching these movies, having some takeaway, enjoying. My- it was it it was it's a really a real experience that is kind of slightly missing now, isn't it? Yeah. The process of going in and choosing and picking and seeing what's available. It is, but I wouldn't go back to it. I, I don't like physical media anymore. I'm all about the streaming and the solid state hard drives these days. Anyway. Sure. You, but you want, there's one thing you can't do with a solid state hard drive. You can't put it in the machine and then press play. You can press play, though, can't you? Yeah, I'm pressing play now, boy. <laughs> At a beach house in Los Angeles, Dr. David Banner is haunted in his sleep by visions of destruction and his alter ego, the Hulk, and Maggie Shaw, a scientist he's romantically involved with. The next morning, Banner makes him and Maggie breakfast, and she talks about how David's dark side hasn't made an appearance in two years, and maybe it's time David should move in with her. Banner says he won't consider it until he's sure he's rid of his curse. Banner has been gainfully employed at the Joshua Lambert Research Institute under the guise of David Banyan, where he and a team of scientists are putting the... Change a bit of my name as I'm on the run. Not all of it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna call myself Jeff Parker. I'm gonna make sure it's pretty damn close to the person I'm trying not to be. Well, do you know that the one thing about like coming up with an assumed name that I was thought of is like if you come up with an assumed name and someone yells that name at you, you're less likely to instinctly respond to that assumed name because it's because it's not as implanted as in your head as as like your, your actual name. So if it sounds similar to his name, then he'd be like, oh, that sounds enough like my name. I'm going to subconsciously respond. Who is running up to people and yelling out the name of a dead man? <laughs> no, not the name of it. Okay, if he hears the name David Banyan, he's going to go, oh, that sounds like David Banner. Okay, I'll answer that. But if he said, like, George Floyd or whatever, no, George, I don't know, something completely different sounding to David mm. Banner, subconsciously you might go, that's not my name. And then you go, oh, wait, that is supposed to be my name. Oh, yes, you know, it, that's how I think. when I hit- To me, it feels like hiding um, Luke Skywalker <laughs> under his real name with his real blood family <laughs> on the planet they all lived on. Um, but yeah, sure. Yeah. So he's been at the Joshua Lambert Research Institute where he and a team of scientists are putting the final touches on a gamma transponder, which he intends to use to cure him of his ability to turn into the Hulk. Joshua Lambert and his younger brother Zach brief the press on the unveiling of their gamma transponder, which they claim will create an unlimited source of energy. As usual, the intro is brilliant. They got the old TV series intro, and it's good. It's dead. Which we played at the top of the show. That's, that's, that's what you hear right at the start. It's still um, that great is the, intro. the intro to every uh, Hulk episode on, on, on CBS. Yeah. And it's back here for this. It is. It's the... The that's really good sort of feel to it, and the combination of the lonely man walking away theme, yeah, with um, a beat over it is brilliant. It's like a really good a mashup. rousing score, not yeah. a beat, but it's fantastic. It's it works so well. Uh, this uh, not 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 to beat down on it, but this is miles better than the nineteen seventy eight Doctor Strange movie, isn't it? So far. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a full decade later in terms of what they can do. I mean, yeah, and it's a TV movie still. Uh, but it's just it just shows you how you can do, at this sort of period in history, a Marvel character on screen in this capacity. It just feels there's, there's a lot better touches to they, it. They both took the, the 
They both took a slightly similar approach of really not doing the comic book. Yeah, exactly. But they, this is very, this, you know, it's coming from that background of the $6 million man and the bionic woman knowing how to do action adventure, but with this kind of compelling emotional drama weight behind it. Yeah, exactly. That will get people kind of wrapped up and excited and go, oh, but there's a... Whereas the Doctor Strange one, they were just lost and all over the place, weren't they? Exactly. So, in the comic books, has Bruce Banner ever been cured of becoming the Hulk? Yeah, almost immediately. (laughs) Almost immediately. Issue four. <laughs> um, Stanley's issue four going like, oh, I, c- I can't make more money out of this. He's not the Hulk anymore. Quickly, write it back so he's the Hulk again. Yeah, they, uh, he, he gets exposed to um, another dose of gamma, and he turns back into Bruce Banner, and he examines his blood and everything, and he goes, ah, regulated doses of gamma radiation will uh, cure me and make it so I can control my transformations. And he makes some adjustments to the gamma ray projector and um he's able to turn into the hulk but with the intelligence of bruce banner that's fun for a bit um but he's still got like kind of the hulk at the time is kind of almost like uh, um like a mafia guy he's kind of like oh get away from me he's kind of like he's he's got machismo and he's brutish and <laughs> he's uh yeah he's like Pauly Walnuts, but <laughs> a gamma-irradiated Pauly Walnuts. Pauly Wal- Who sadly was taken from us days ago. Um, and so there's a bit of that knocking on, and he... Um, yeah, he has Bruce Banner's mind and memories yeah. and stuff, but he does... Uh, and then he, he, he uses the gamma-ray projector to turn him back into Bruce Banner when he needs to be, and to turn him into the Hulk when he wants to be. Mm. Um it doesn't last very long. It start basically what happens is I think they realized, hey, we've taken away tension and drama and problems for the character. What a mistake we've made. Um, <laughs> uh, this 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 is this this concept will be over by issue five. Yeah. So they they basically get to this idea of like, oh, it's too much gamma. It's making Banner sick and weak and dying, and it also makes the Hulk kind of like. Of, this is when the Hulk starts to go at, and act villainous and go on rampages and attack the Avengers and stuff. So they have there's an excellent explanation for it. Yeah. Banner overdosed on Gamma to try and um, get himself back to normal, and it, it made Banner sick and weakly, and it made the Hulk uncontrollable and, and prone to violent rampages and kind of what you'd consider villainous behaviour. One thing I've never really picked up before, I don't know if we've ever mentioned it, is how his surname sounds like the very thing that afflicted him. Gamma and Banner. It's... I'm just saying... Never never, never thought of that. Never thought of that. In an alternate universe, the Incredible Hulk is called the Gamma Banner. Why would his first name be Gamma? (laughs) I don't know. No, 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 no. Uh, the The actual monster would be called the Gamma Banner. Oh, okay. He's, he's Bruce Banner, then he becomes the Gamma Banner. Gamma Banner. <laughs> that was way Back funnier. To the movie? <laughs> what do you think? Back to the movie or more of this? What do you reckon? 
do, do you know what this is? This is this is when someone after you come off stage where they go, well, how do you think that went? <laughs> <laughs> my um, my sister heard a little bit of the show yeah. and she compared us to um, the two on Taskmaster. Oh, I don't watch Taskmaster. Greg, oh, there you go. Well, basically, one of them is always making stupid puns and the other one just yells at him. <laughs> Yeah, that's, and I went, that's, yeah, a, fair enough, that's yeah. a fair that's a fair comparison. Back to the film. Joshua Lambert tries to get Banner to be the public face of the transponder that he has created, but David tells his bosses that he does not want the publicity of being in the public eye. After the unveiling of the Gamma Transponder, Gamma sorry, Banner stays <laughs> see, see, it's easy. Banner stays behind and observes. Boo. Boo. That was actually. You did that on purpose. No, I actually did that no, accidentally. That I'll have not, you. No. That was you trying to make sure your joke worked and sell it out of the facts. <laughs> Shut up. Banner stays behind and observes in the machine. God, I, God, I hate you so much. He observes in the machine that could free him from the Hulk. Maggie phones him at the lab and tells him to come home, but he needs to stay just a little longer. Outside, a young man scales the perimeter wall of the Joshua Lambert Research Institute. He has a grappling hook and everything. I know. You don't see them so much anymore. All you grappling. don't. I like a grappling hook. Yeah, you usually cool. get like something wrist-mounted or something cool that Batman has, but grappling hooks like the old ones. Oh, man, bring them back is what I say. Redding the machine for his personal use, Banner records his steps into his dictaphone. Just as the Can I just stop there? Hmm. There is a moment in that where he doesn't say a thing, hmm. but he alludes to the fact that this gamma transponder could kill him. And it's just not really picked up on, but he, he essentially says something along the lines of, one way or another, this will end my curse, whether it Ooh, works or whether it didn't... fails. And he just doesn't say the last word, which is like, or it'll kill me or something. I thought that was quite... In, they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't harp on it a, a lot in this. They didn't kind of make it a, a major feature of it, but I thought that was interesting. I think that's that's what we call writing being better than what it needs to be. That's, mm. that's a nice bit of writing there. Uh, just as the man silently enters the room, watching Banner get in place as the Gamma Transponder counts down. With seconds to go, the stranger powers down the machine and reveals himself to Banner, who remembers uh, him as his old student, Donald Blake. Uh, I love, uh, as well as the, the most important machine in the world, which obviously is in this scene, uh, I love, in these old things, when CDs in labs were seen as something high-tech. Oh, yeah. And, like, then it would be around 20 years... No, no, not even that. 15 years later, they would just be so commonplace to burn information on. Remember, you used to burn stuff on CDs and DVDs. Yeah, 88... I mean, 10... Uh, I would say... 15 years. Because, mm. like, right at the end of... I, 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 Maybe, I finished yeah. school in 2003, and I remember people burning CDs. And it's just it's just such a... It's such a weird way that that's, that's progressed. Anyway, you could... Obviously, you can tell this music is from the uh, late 80s as well. Obviously, you've got the, the score, but then you get bits that sound like an episode of Doctor Who. But the more synthy bits... It sounds like a Doctor Who episode from the 1980s, yeah. yeah. It sounds like anything from this era. And it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Doctor Who in the 70s sounded very different. Of course. A lot more theremin in the 70s. Now, we know the connection, <clears throat> obviously, between Donald Blake and another superhero, but is there any connection between Donald Blake and Bruce Banner in the comic books? And is he actually a student of Banner's? 
No, no, no. Donald Blake, no. I mean, he is a doctor in the original stories, mm. but of course, Bruce Banner isn't a doctor in the Marvel comics. He's not. He's a doctor. No, he's an experimental physicist. They don't get a doctor. Um, they don't. What, what? He is a doctor, but he's not a. This is a medical. Oh, what we're talking right, about. Sorry. Their, their connection right, is yeah. through being medical physicians. Ah, okay. Um, be, so that's their connection in this. Um, but that isn't. There's no connection there in um, in the uh, in the in the comics. He, he so yeah. Blake and Banner. They also like here. There's this gulf. Uh, the generational gulf between them. Um, they aren't. They aren't. I mean, they're essentially the same age in the comic books. There's no real age difference. Mm. So in the comics, Donald Blake isn't young enough to be um, Banner's student. Um, yeah, the, so the only connection in the comics is between Hulk and Thor, not between Blake and Banner. Yeah, that makes sense. Sitting down for a coffee, Donald reveals to Bruce about his reason for finding him. Blake, obsessed with Viking culture, took an expedition to Norway. During a snowstorm, Blake suddenly felt compelled to venture forth until he found a cave. Warm air blew from the inside the cave, at Viking route... Uh, sorry, blue, warm air blew from inside the cave and deep inside Viking runes on a tall stone, which Blake was somehow mysteriously able to read. Tell him that he has pierced the heart of Odin. Turn and go away or go forward and be eaten by your fate. Nevertheless, Blake continues forward and finds an old Viking tomb. Ignoring all the rules he was taught in archaeology, he went ahead and single-handedly opened the tomb to reveal the corpse of a Viking warrior with a warhammer. After picking up the warhammer, it starts to emit a strange energy and Blake is unable to let it go. The eye sockets of the Viking skull light up, lightning strikes the hammer and Blake is thrown to the floor, gazing up to see a mysterious Viking figure standing tall before him, Thor. So, for a TV movie, this is actually really good so far. Yeah, you think? It's very good. It's Because when you, when you think, oh, it's a TV movie from the 80s about a superhero, you think, oh, man, this is going to be a bit weird. But it actually works. They know what they, they've already got an established um, property they're dealing with that they know how to deal with it in style. But then they go, oh, we're going to introduce... Thor, and we're going to have a, a Viking tomb in in a mountain, and it's mm. like you're watching this, thinking, "Oh, how how bad could this look?" And it's like, "Oh no, actually, looks like he went into a cave in a mountain." I I, I absolutely love this as a kid. This mm. is these are the bit these are the bits that I remember strong the most strongly um, from my childhood. All, all the bits with Thor, yeah. I loved it. I thought it was I this this blew my mind as a child. I blew imagine. my mind. This I, is. It felt like cutting edge stuff. When I, was a kid. <laughs> yeah, I know um, how you mean. I would have been maybe nine when I saw it, something like that. Yeah, younger than ten. So this does, from what I remember, when we talked about Thor. This does sound like Donald Blake's origin story in the Marvel comics. That's correct, right? That's, am I right? Similar, similar, similar. Okay, you have to forget everything you would currently think and know about uh, Thor from the MCU and from the modern comics. It, it begins with a, a disabled American doctor called Donald, who was on holiday in Norway, um, and while on holiday, he stumbles across an alien invasion. Um, <laughs> for some reason, these aliens think that humanity's seat of power and influence is Norway, <laughs> um, and so Donald. 
uh, hides inside an old cave. And in an old cave, he finds like a plinth, like a naturally occurring plinth. And on top of the plinth, a perfectly, a perfectly kind of formed wooden cane. And he takes this wooden cane to use as a, a, a help to help him walk. Um, hiding from aliens inside the cave, he he um, he uses his stick to hobble around. He gets stuck behind some rocks in the cave, and he starts to bang his stick on the rocks to try and move them. And when he does that, when he strikes the cane against the rocks, he is struck by lightning. The wooden cane transforms into a mighty hammer, and disabled Dr. Donald Blake becomes a massive blonde Viking dude with a cape. And he reads the inscription for the first time. It says, Whosoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. So, Donald Blake is able to transform himself into a superpowered form with a magic hammer. Very similar to the original Captain Marvel, now known as Shazam. A child who says a magic word and is turned into a superpowered guy, right? Mm. Um, and to begin with, Thor is like this most very, very traditional superhero comic. Um, it's almost a direct su- Superman ripoff. Uh, weak, mild mannered, <laughs> yeah. average Joe becomes a superhero. Uh, the girl he loves is only in love with a strong superhero and not him. Every story revolves around him hiding his secret identity. Can he change into Thor in time? Will he get found out by the villain or the girl he loves? Um, yeah, all of that. So, and to begin with, Donald Blake is not Thor, he's not like the guy from the myth and legends. He has to actually, when he becomes superpowered Thor, he actually has to kind of like think about what he remembers from school about Thor to to kind of learn stuff about him, right? Mm. So he doesn't he, he's but he's a regular average mortal. So it's not like in the in this TV movie where Thor appears and Donald Blake's another person. It's the same guy, but Thor isn't even Thor. It's just Donald Blake with powers. But then Loki turns up looking for his long lost brother mm. and claims that, that this Donald Blake with powers is Thor. And then Thor meets Odin and starts to act like Odin's son and talk like he knows him. And it gets quite confusing because you were like, hang on, in the last issue, he didn't know anything about the Asgardians. He had to really think <laughs> about it. And now he's. And so it was like, is Donald Blake becoming Thor? Is he switching places with. The, the actual god, Thor, sometimes he has his memories and sometimes he he, yeah. he, he doesn't. And basically, Stanley and Jack Kirby didn't know. <laughs> they didn't have a plan. They were just doing stuff. Incredible. That is and absolutely so, incredible. What started to happen is, like, while the main Thor story was was being this very traditional Superman secret identity rip-off thing, there was a backup story in every issue called Tales of Asgard. Which was mainly, which was just Jack Kirby on his own. And that let Jack Kirby adapt classic Norse mythology, little Norse myths, and, and tell these classic fables about Thor and Loki and Asgard. 
and draw them all himself and make them simpler and make them into a comic story. And that stuff was a big hit. People really liked that. It gelled and it flowed and it let Kirby be Kirby with his grand sweeping ideas of mythology and cosmic grandeur. Mm. And after a while, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby both realised that the traditional superhero secret identity stuff was really dull. <laughs> and the cosmic Shakespearean <laughs> drama and the politics of Asgard yeah. was awesome. And so they just started to ignore Donald Blake and Earth. And um, and and they just kind of moved on quite <laughs> swiftly to, um, yeah. to just doing regular Thor stuff. Yeah, Donald so, Blake, you loser. You big, boring <laughs> loser. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty much. Okay. After telling Banner his story, Blake tries to explain that Thor is somehow connected to Blake. Donald explains that he can use the channel, uh, he could use these hammer to summon uh, Thor from beyond the grave and back to the land living, where he has to command Thor to do good deeds. Blake says, this is the 80s. I don't know what a good cause is anymore. <laughs> they explain it as being um, like... Uh a medium as well at this point. He mm. says, the, the, the word channel was kind of used. Uh, they, he says it's like, I'm like a spirit medium. I have this channel to the other side. I can switch on or switch off. See, I, I always have um, channel as, as as a verb. Or like mm. when it's that kind of thing. That's fair. Yeah, it, it, it is. It, it's, it's, it feels like Donald Blake is kind of in a similar role to the original one. He's kind of like that buffering into the into the human world. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. so it's quite clever what they've done there. Banner tries to make sense of his of his highly incredulous story, thinking that Donald has been hallucinating. Even showing Banner the hammer doesn't seem. <laughs> There's another word that rhymes with Banner. Don't 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 say don't say gamma banner hammer. The gamma banner hammer. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah, we'll be doing the t-shirts next month. Uh, <laughs> doesn't seem to firm up Blake's story, leading Donald to grab it, hold it high, and shout, Odin! Which causes the hammer to unleash lightning bolts. After lightning has finished, the figure of a proud Viking warrior stands before them. This is Thor, an immortal warrior banished by Odin to Earth. Thor is reluctantly compelled to serve Blake, who is unnerved by this. Thor calls Banner a warlock, then immediately and arrogantly looks for something to drink, damaging the equipment for the Gamma Transponder in his careless process. So, this is yeah. it. This is the very first appearance of Marvel's Thor in, in anything, really, and its first on-screen uh, appearance in this TV movie from 1988. What do we think? What do we think when we see of the of the... Of this origin, of this appearance, of of the whole thing. What does he look like? The design of him. He he. I have to say, I I actually watched this clip, the clip of him appearing years ago and giggling. Mm. But looking back at this, watching this film, it's like no, they they got him just right. Obviously, yeah, the helmets. The helmets. Not. I'm not used to the helmets so much because obviously with uh, Chris Hemsworth, you don't really think of helmet when you think of. Does Thor. he not wear a helmet? He, he wears he wears a helmet in this when he originally appears. I'm saying just because Hemsworth not wear a helmet. He barely does, does he? He usually got I the long really hair remember. flowing. He's got the whole hair flowing. Yeah, usually. I suppose so. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you get Ragnarok where he has a helmet at one point, but like this. Oh yeah, it, but just just a gladiator thing, isn't it? It's the gladiator. Yeah, but this, 
that he's he's got a helmet on for a bit. So it's like, oh my god, they're really going for what appears to be exactly how he looked in the comics. Except it's all brown and leather. Well, yeah, okay, there's brown and leather, but you know the the shape of it, not the color per, per se. He doesn't have a cape, and he doesn't have oh yeah, true the real boots, and he doesn't have the red and the blue and the gold and stuff. Okay, well, I'll take that back then. I think they 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 mostly got it as on point as they could be for a 1980s TV movie. Without Very, I yeah, without it's, it it's, being too because I think there's still that grounding with the Incredible Hulk, where if he did have the blue, red, and gold, whatnot, and the and the cape, it would be a bit too superhero-y. But this is still in the realms of fantasy in a way that's palatable for this kind of show. I do wonder why they chose to not have Donald Blake become Thor. That is very odd, I especially. In this story, where you what they try to do a little bit is draw this kind of comparison yes. between Bruce Banner, uh, David Banner, becoming a big brutish monster, right? Yeah, they try and do that, but it's not, it doesn't quite land because Donald Blake summons someone and then he, do you know what I mean? He doesn't, I can't work out why. Well, the, the link maybe is- they couldn't wrap their head around you know this weird dimensional is it ban- is it going to be Blake or then or is it someone else I or- think it's more about control the, the the theme is about control he's trying to control him, his, his, himself from becoming the Hulk it, and he's trying is. to control another being with a hammer it is but why what, what my question was like why did they make the decision to not have Blake become become or swap places with this Thor character. Maybe that would have been. Maybe that was the, the where the line was drawn where it got too ridiculous. You know, you, I, I think perhaps yeah they they just couldn't quite wrap their head around what they were going to do with it. Yeah. Um, but I loved it as a kid and yeah. seeing it again, I I did really like it. There's there's all right. It's not exactly Thor Thor, mm. but there's loads of lightning. There is still something that I like about this idea, and this is, of course, what grabs you as a kid about the original Thor, and there's so many things like this, where anyone could have found this thing and get this power. That's that's a real big, you know, wish-fulfillment thing <laughs> there is, there is yeah. in comic books. Yeah. Anyone could, you know... Get, get given this thing and have the power but th- when he just holds up the hammer and yells Odin and out comes this that's a kind of a cool and I can see that happening in a TV series yes definitely you know like the way that uh, Bixby transforms into the Hulk there's going to be a couple of times in each episode where he picks a hammer up and yells Odin and out comes Thor to save the yeah I just I can yeah it's a lot of fun it is Obviously, this is a very different Thor and Mjolnir that we've seen compared to the MCU. Uh, is there anything like this in the original stories? Sort of, but not really. There's a T-shirt so, we need. So, in the in the 60s stories, you could kind of say Thor sort of is trapped in the hammer. Like, so Thor. Hmm. Because Donald Blake 
sort of becomes Thor, but sort of doesn't, right? Right. So Thor is in that hammer when he... The hammer's got all these different conditions on it as well, Mjolnir. Yeah. So the idea is Donald Blake can become Thor when he strikes his cane on the ground. The cane becomes Mjolnir and Donald Blake becomes Thor. Um, yes. But if he's separated, if Thor then is separated from Mjolnir for more than 60 seconds, he reverts back to Donald Blake, loses all his powers, and the hammer reverts back to a cane. Mm. That's a major thing in the early issues of he's got to, he can never lose his, if he loses the hammer, yeah. he's stuck. There's an awful lot of bad guys trying to like stop him from getting the hammer and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, so to begin with, as we said, it's just gaining the powers and the physical appearance of Thor, but then all these Asgardians start showing up and he spends less and less time as Donald Blake. (laughs) So it's like, well, this is not, they're all convinced that Thor is not Donald Blake, but he's the God of Thunder they've known for thousands of years. Um, and, and Blake starts to turn in, when he turns into Thor, he starts to have Thor's memories and talk in that weird Asgardian way. So at that stage, it, it is almost like the old god of thunder, Thor, is sort of trapped in the hammer yes. and only really comes out when Blake smacks his, th- his, his stick on the on the ground, sort of. But it's a little confusing. It we'll is. Get, we've got a little bit more about Donald Blake coming up, and we'll explain it all. But it's, good but it's to, a little confusing at this point. Yeah. It's good to see them ha- something handling that side of the Thor story, though, because that was completely thrown out the window when it came out of the MCU. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Banner and Blake. But yep. to be fair, they hadn't. Blake hadn't been a thing in decades when the MCU started. And, there was no point doing it. And if they did it, it would be so hokey and tropey, and oh, it would it wouldn't have fit at all. I don't think in the I, MCU. I don't know if it'd be hokey and tropey. It would be. I don't think we've seen anything like that on television. No, I mean, if, if it was like when they were doing the first Thor movie, not this. This, it would have been fine. But if they would have done... No, I know. I, 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 the MCU, I don't, there's nothing on television like, or in movies, like um, like that Donald Blake Thor situation. I don't think it would have been tropey. What, like you, you find a mystical item that you used to, used to transform into someone? It sounds like Shazam. There's no mystical item in Shazam, but anyway. Okay, okay. Okay, I'll move on. Banner and Blake yell at the Thunder God to stop his destruction. Thor says they've come to Banner for help to cut the tether that Odin has spun between Thor and Donald so that Thor can finally enter Valhalla. Banner yet tells Thor, don't make me angry, leading Thor to shove Banner into live electricity, transforming him into the Hulk. Smiling with glee at the challenge, Thor takes on Hulk and the two battle. Uh, so. You alright? Yeah, I'm just. Uh. <laughs> what? We see the the first appearance of the Hulk now. Yeah. It's. it's uh, what do you think of this transformation? I mean, it, 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 it's, it's, the, it's the transformation I've known so long. I just, it's so different to what you see in the MCU because usually it's a quick case of boom, but you see this metonymic shot of like the seams and his trousers ripping apart, the shoes mm. coming away. I mean, it look, you know, practical effects and stuff, it looks great. 
I love it. I I I thought it hadn't. I I thought this is the bit that really struck me as not having aged terribly well. Okay, um, it has. Okay, it hasn't aged amazingly, but it it harks back to that kind of thing where if someone yeah, where it, if someone's changing to something, you you like like remember American Werewolf in London. That's what. Yeah, and, it reminds me of an old werewolf movie yes. or an old. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing. But I, I also, I think perhaps actually what I am remembering is just seeing this an awful lot as a kid. Um, the And then, you know, there's also all the things making fun of this sort of stuff. So I'm, I'm probably remembering Russ Abbott doing it in a, in a <laughs> sketch show in the 80s. And I'm, I'm probably remembering maybe Morecambe and Wise or oh. Little and Large. Or I'm remembering a lot of, you know, slightly kind of hokey, cheesy comedy sketches making fun of this you know did, did you because see, it's kind of relatively easy to do to did, replicate it came a little later did you ever see the vic reeves and bob mortimer take on yeah it? oh yeah it's just obviously it's supposed to be low budget but it just basically turns back and his face is green and he's going ah i'm all mad now <laughs> i thought that was the best test so i i just didn't i i i i L- lou ferengo as the hulk looks I, I still think it looks really good. It does. Bit, like it looks, uh, but it doesn't. It's never going to look like the modern CGI, right? No. And I think, upon reflection, what I'm feeling is probably a lot of nostalgia and fondness. So I perhaps can't sit here and say it looks great. I think what I'm saying is that looks like a thing I really grew up with. A a, a real big. That was a superhero for decades, you know. To, as, a, as a kid, there was nothing else. You had, it was not until really, you know, the 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 the. I mean, that was a superhero alongside Christopher Reeve and yeah, and, and Michael Keaton. Absolutely. Um, I don't think that tr- that whole transformation is particularly great. I, I think it's a step down from the Thor thing as well. Oh, obviously, um, but but they they're doing what they used to do on the TV show, which was doing the the werewolf esque bits. But yeah, I I think I'm looking at it from a st- nostalgic point rather than trying to look at it objectively from a modern perspective because it's like you see that stuff happening. It's very tropey. But it's loved like, it as a kid. I absolutely loved it as a I, kid. It, so. it, it, it just it just makes me think to back then, and. Like what is what does work is that they're both pretty much evenly matched in terms of physical appearance and height and dimensions mm. and it's not like one of them like if Thor had been a god yeah because he's not a god in this is he really demigod or whatever he's sort of depowered I don't well I, I they never say god of thunder they never say the word god yeah true at all in this he doesn't so yeah I I. You know, they're they're roughly the the sort of same. I think that works that they have a similar kind of like power level. Anyway, anyway, Thor hurls his hammer at Hulk. There was a lot of H words there. Thor hurls his hammer at Hulk, summoning lightning to electrocute the beast. As the two Titans fight, the laboratory machinery is damaged, and Hulk throws Thor out of a nearby window. As Thor tries to befriend the beast, the sound of police sirens draw near, with several bystanders looking on in shock as the Hulk jumps from the roof of the lab to the streets below and flees. Thor orders Blake to hand the hammer back to him, but Blake summons Thor back inside the weapon. Uh, Maybe I've missed something. 
But there's one thing I was thinking of while this whole thing played out. Because, like, the whole reason of this scene is he's trying... David Banner's trying to <laughs> use the machine to remove him, re- stop him being the Hulk. And, like, during the conversation with David Banner... Uh, sorry, with with, Dr. with Donald Blake, like David Banner should have just said, like, you know, oh, it's great to see you, you know, really good catching up, but could you, could we just do this in a quick second? I have to use this machine very quickly. Uh, David Banner's a hero. You, 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 he, we cannot put a selfish self-interest before other people. That's not how a hero behaves. That's not how a good person behaves. And that is certainly not what we know about David Banner over the entire TV series. The whole the whole series is him putting other people before himself getting what he needs and his cure oh. and it going terribly wrong for him. Yeah. Um, but a good person keeps doing it. Yeah, he's, he, he's, const- he's forever stopping to help someone in a burning building or something rather than getting, a, getting his, the cure that he needs and that's, all that kind of stuff. That's what makes him such an endearing character. So also, it hap- if someone rocked up to me yeah. and like was like, uh, you know, I go, oh, listen to this. He, he does. He's not. He's not thinking to himself. If I keep listening to this story, a god is going to appear and smash up my machine. He's just <laughs> listening to uh, a, a young old, a young student of his that's having a rough time. You go, oh, I listen to this. I'll, okay. I'll send him home and then I'll fix myself. I suppose. Yeah. Okay. That that's that's well put. Actually, absolutely. It's just like with the benefit of hindsight, I, I keep thinking, ah, if only I told him to shut up for a second while I used the machine. Mm. Also, Lou Ferrigno here, doing a lot of flexing. It's like as soon as he comes through, it's like, oh, so all this flexing. Yeah, it's weird because if he doesn't keep doing that, he doesn't, like when he's at, he's still a big dude. He's a big dude. But he, he doesn't, he, he only looks like the Hulk when he's flexing and snarling. Yeah. when he The moments when he's walking around with a, a soft look on his face, he, you kind of go, oh, that's a guy in paint. That's a guy in paint. <laughs> he kind of looks docile. But he's like that, like you know, like. I especially think like um, it doesn't age as well because now everyone goes to the gym and lifts weights. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Rango doesn't quite look, especially like I mean, I watch a lot of wrestling and everyone looks like that. Yeah. That's just what regular people look like in wrestling world. I know. And now um, looking back on it, it's just like he just looks like he goes, "What's his super? He turns into a guy who." Goes to the goes gym. To the gym. Yeah. <laughs> oh god. So for the, obviously we've discussed Thor as well. That's great. So what happens the first time uh, Hulk fights Thor in, in Marvel Comics? It's nineteen sixty four. Mm. It is um Well, the first Yeah, so Avengers issue three. So the Hulk um, quits the Avengers after the second issue because everyone hates him. Okay. Um, and by issue three, he's teamed up with Namor the Submariner to be a bad guy and uh, to fight the humans and they each bear a grudge against humanity and they're going to teach humans a lesson. So they form this kind of uneasy alliance and they issue a challenge to the Avengers Come and fight me on the Rock of Gibraltar, they, <laughs> they yell. Um, and they use all this old World War II weaponry to attack the Avengers. Um, and during this fight, that's when we kind of get the first tussle between Hulk and Thor. Tussle is such um, a funny word. 
Is it? Why? I just find, I, if it's used to describe a fight, I always find it funny. It's such a, like, oh, we're having a little tussle. Okay, cool. Okay. Um, so, they, it, it, it's Hulk and Submariner together trying to fight Thor. Mm. Um, and it's very much that they they cannot do it on their own. It's clear in the so it's very clear that Hulk is no match for Thor mm. on his own. He he's, he needs the help of another super strong dude to keep um, the Hulk at to keep um, Thor at bay. Uh, he actually actively says to Submariner um, that you're no, we're no match for the Hulk on our own. You're nuts for trying to fight him on your own. We've got to do this together. Blah 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 blah. So yeah, when when the Hulk actually kind of um, gets very stressed out and turns back into Banner and Namor is on his own and the whole thing ends. So yeah, it's this weird, it's this weird kind of mini fight within a bigger fight. Together, they've been able. Hulk and Submariner have been able to beat the rest of the Avengers briefly, mm. but then two of them can barely can barely keep up with Thor. Um, they can't really get anything done. They can't lift his hammer, which is a, a, a no one. You know, it, it's a, it's a novelty at the time that no one can lift the, the thing. So they go, <laughs> "I'll grab this hammer and hit him with it," and they can't get that done. Um, and and Thor, uh, Hulk is very much with his cunning brain. He's like. I need another guy if I'm going to fight this this god. I can't do it on my own, and uh, he doesn't. Yeah, does not go his way. Mm. The next morning, a post Hulk Banner steals some clothes and is stopped down an alley by Thor, who wants to work with Banner under instructions from Blake. After summoning Thor back into the hammer, Blake drives Banner back to the lab, who scolds his old student for the mess he caused the previous night. News of the Hulk's rampage hits the papers, drawing the journalist Jack McGee out of retirement. As the crusading reporter who chased the Hulk all over America for four years, McGee begs his old boss to put him back on the Hulk story. Elsewhere, Zachary Lambert, the the younger brother of David's boss, makes a deal with the dangerous Jack LeBeau to steal the transponder and David in order to sell it off to the highest bidder. Back at the lab, repairs are taking place and Zachary expresses mild suspicion over David and Donald's appearance from nowhere to work in the lab. Donald and David argue about their individual powers and curses. David says that the difference between them is that he has no control over when the Hulk emerges, whereas Donald chooses to summon Thor each and every time. Banner says there must be a reason why Donald is in charge of the Viking warrior and suggests his old students should try asking Thor for some answers. At the lab, journalist Jack McGee is on the trail of the Hulk. David sees McGee and immediately slinks away before he can be recognised. Back at the beach house, Blake pulls the hammer and summons Thor, immediately demanding answers from the Thunder God. But Thor tells Blake what it is like to exist without a body in a place of mist and darkness, constantly awake and aware of the half-life he is cursed with until being summoned back to the physical world. Thor demands to eat, drink, laugh with a woman and fight with a man, to experience everything else that a mortal enjoys. Donald gains a new understanding for the tragic existence that Thor is cursed with. Luckily, Donald knows just a place and takes the Viking to a biker bar where he chugs back pitchers of beer and parties with everyone, much to the unease of Blake. 
I thought there were some nice moments here mm. where we see, I think, again, we're seeing glimpses of what could be in the, um, the what the dynamic would be going forward in its TV series. Yeah. I, of of a repressed Donald Blake who doesn't party and enjoy himself and doesn't, he's in his head and he's not living life to the full. He's this nerd. And then you've got the big jock, the big himbo yeah. jock, who is like just living, living, living his best life and... The, you know, he, they're both trying to help each other. Thor is actually trying to help bring David Banner out of his shell and be a man of action and live for the moment and stuff. Yeah, it's... I, I, I can imagine that being a great odd couple TV show and working really well. But I have to say, seeing Thor chug an arm wrestle in a biker bar, it just feels like that was something the original MCU film was missing. Like if they oh, just had a scene yeah. of him partying... On Earth. Well, there's that. There is that weird thing where I don't know, is he drinking like milkshakes or something? He drinks a coffee. Is it coffee and in the goes, di- in the diner up. with I like with it. Darby? Yeah, that should have been beer. That should have been beer. You could, you could easily drunk a beer. It's, it's weird. It, yeah, I I would have loved to have just seen that. I know it would have been a bit. Hmm, I don't know because it's because there's there's this whole tragedy in the first film where he's like being cut immediately cast down and he's confused. But even if we could just get a glimpse of him, like coming to terms with it and going, "Hey, I'm going to go." But that's what. But that's why you you don't drink a lot and party because you're happy. Yes. You drink a lot and party because you've had stuff taken away from you, and you're you're trying to block out the pain. You're miserable. Bloody hell, that was very deep. <laughs> it was like no, no one at this party is happy. Will that's why the party oh, exists? No. Well, of course not. Yeah, bloody hell! Rob. Every party is a misery party. That's why parties exist. Bloody hell! That's like you know telling <laughs> telling how deep and me uh, how meaningless existence is. Jesus, Rob. Mm-hmm. God. So yeah, I, I I have to say, I am enjoying the movie so far. I I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm having a great time with this movie. But if we. I mean, how do, how does it compare to like some of the? So we we we've looked at some TV movies, yeah, Doctor Strange and Nick Fury, and we've seen like that Howard the Duck proper movie from mm. the same kind of era, the eighties. How's it stacking up? I oh, let's, let's let's go let's go. Let's, Howard the Duck was weird, quirky, and funny, but in a way that sometimes didn't feel like it had it. It, 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 had, it had its grip on everything. Yeah. Uh, 70s Doctor Strange, definitely the bottom of the pile. Nick Fury yeah. movie, there were bits of it I liked. And it, well, there, there was a lot of fun to be had in that movie. There was, there was a lot of... There, okay, there was, there, I had some, some criticisms, but there was a lot of fun for what it was. I think it, it would go Doctor, 70s Doctor Strange at the bottom, then Howard the Duck, then Nick Fury, hmm, and then maybe... I can't decide between Nick Fury and this... So I, it's, it's it's performing very well, then you're enjoying it. I, I think it's performing very well because it's not taking too much on board and and sort of losing the plot with it. It's got just the right amount so far for a crossover event like this, where they're 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 they're, 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 they're making it work. With Nick Fury, you have so much going on. You have mm. the existence of a heli carrier. You have this terrorist organization, and then yeah. you have a guy being brought out of retirement, and it's all and you can tell they're trying to just. That put loads of the start of loads of stuff with the promise of a TV show, but with this, they want they're, they're they're not trying to get a TV show out of it. They're just showing well, they, well, they are, but well, it's paced well. It's it's well. I would say the TV show has already happened. This is more like a after the fact special 
of like you know just just bring something back for a little bit more rather than this kicking off the but snowball. they're trying to they're trying to get a Thor show out oh yeah of course sorry yeah backdoor I mean. pilot yeah so they they are but they they they're pacing it well they're pacing it well but by doing a backdoor pilot instead of going hey here's a brand new thing hmm. yeah I, I, I it works it works so well for what it is I can't fault it I think this is like the the, the this is it's 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 gone up and up and up and it's kind of peaked for me here at that wonderful montage scene yeah I actually think the kidnapping bit and the criminals and all that is uh, is very dull <laughs> I, 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 yeah. it's nowhere near as much fun as everything else we've had and we I, I I'm not into it and it feels like not the kind of payoff I want it feels very a team like yes. whereas up to this point it hasn't felt like that no this feels um, like uh, it's been quite unique this feels like one of those weird forgotten 80s straight to video comedies that you've, that you've forgotten mm. about, where they've done like, hey! But and I want there to be dramatic way. I want Bixby to have stuff to do. Yeah. I just don't like that bit. I don't know what else it could have been. Um, perhaps it could have been... Here's what it could have been. The Gamma Transponder has only got one charge in it, and they believe it can be used to sever the link between Blake and Thor... To help them, mm. Bix, uh, David Banner selflessly agrees to do that, to to give up his thing, and you know what it does? It turns Thor evil or something. So then you actually have to have a real, you know, a real Thor goes and does evil stuff, and Blake and Banner are trying to stop him, and Thor has to become he has to become Hulk, and he has to fight him, and da 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 da. da. That's how I would do it. I don't need all this other. You know, f- put the focus on that. I think you could do. You can get emotional weight out of it. You get loads of cool, fun action, and you can keep the story with the fun bits. Yeah. You don't. I don't like this dull four men in a van. Uh, it's just so <laughs> dull and boring, and uh, the helicopters crash. It's just all yeah. yeah. Uh, it starts to feel like yet, yet another TV show from the eighties. It does, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So we've got drinking, brawling, and partying. Thor is like this in the comics, isn't he? He's got to be like this. It's another sort of, but not really. Oh um, God! In in modern, not I, I don't think you see any of it really. Sixties, seventies. I don't I don't recall anything in the eighties. Probably not even in the nineties. Until maybe Heroes Reborn, and even then, it's hard to tell. In modern comics, post two thousands, especially in the Avengers, Thor is depicted as absolutely loving to drink and and and, and, part, and wanting to celebrate mainly, like after big fights and missions. They start to kind of like bring in that thing of like Vikings would celebrate after a big fight, right? Yeah. And they go, well, that should be an important. That should be a part of Thor's character. Yeah. We fought valiantly. We crushed the other warriors. Now we party, like. But all that stuff is alluded to rather than shown. Right. He talks about drinking all the mead after the fight, and then grabs Wolverine or someone, and then come with me, mortal, and they exit the scene. Or Thor will arrive and jovially talk about the celebrations and the feast and the drinking he has been doing, but you never see it, and. He never puts it like here. He's putting it before helping someone, before the mission. Yeah, and he ne- he'd never do that in the in, in the comics. Yeah, 
and crucially, I don't think it ever plays a role in his own comic. To be fair, though, it's like you wouldn't show to you know excessive drinking in a comic, would you? Especially aimed at children. There surely there'd be a code against that. Mm. No, I mean they 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 always used to show Wolverine drinking all the time, and okay. I mean, I'm sure there might be some internal thing where they decided not to, but crucially, I think uh, saying it doesn't play a role in his own comic. Recently, Thor has has become a he's assumed an awful lot of of bigger responsibilities in modern comics. He's become a lot wiser. He's a king and a and a leader. Um, and I can't see King Thor going off and getting drunk and doing all that kind of partying. You know, he's <laughs> he's a far cry from the from the partying himbo, really. Yeah. Elsewhere, a couple of criminals get the instruction to kidnap David Banner. At the lab, a tired David Banner works through the night to fix the transponder. Outside, he noticed the criminals enter enter the lab perimeter in a large truck. Realising the phones are down and something is wrong, David tries to escape the building, but is stopped by Mike Fooch, one of the men. Is it Mike Fooch or Mike Fouch, would you say? I don't know why. He's, it's just a guy. Just it's a not guy. an important... It's not a character, is it? I, I, he doesn't, his name doesn't need to be in this. Mike! A man. Mike, a man called Mike. One of the men asked for kidnapping him and his lackeys. After one of the building security argues with Mike... David takes advantage of the situation and tries to wrestle Mike's gun away from him, causing a massive fight. However, everyone turns to see in horror that David has transformed into the Hulk, who immediately throws a guard at the criminals and chases after them as they escape in their truck. Later that night, the Hulk returns to Maggie's beach house, only for Maggie to come out and see David just as he transformed back, disheveled and half-naked on the beach. My, uh, Mike here played by Charles Napier and his impossibly manly voice mm. also a bit of trivia we found as well, Charles Napier is the voice of the Hulk in the TV series and here, which I didn't know all the snarls and the grunts and the roars, yeah that's great, he just and he wasn't the original voice um, I think he took over on the CBS series after a, a couple of episodes or something like that. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 got a very distinct voice, doesn't he? It's very like he he has been smoking twenty a day without <laughs> without ever like deteriorating the voice that much. It's a classic Cajun voice, I think you'll find. <laughs> oh God, should we talk? Sorry, is that a Cajun voice? No, <laughs> uh, yeah, because they say they're Cajun and like those. Are... Why? Why do they say they're Cajun? I don't. Well, his name's Lebo. They... What? Why? <laughs> I don't know. They are not Cajun. They're. Oh, sorry, I'm an expert on American languages now, but oh god, that that annoyed me. That did annoy me. So it's odd. It's so odd. What they've done is they've given him a distinctive like French surname, and then so they've written into the script something to do with him being. Cajun, a gang of Cajuns, evil criminal Cajuns, and then cast people who can't do and don't do Cajun accents. Um, and there's one whole conversation that Napier has with the bad guy about being the lead bad guy about being Cajun. You're not more Cajun than me, he said. It's so weird. It's weird. Two guys who definitely aren't Cajun arguing about who's the most Cajun. Well, the the, the main That's Charles Napier's. Weird. He's he's I think he's like he's a he's he's a southern boy I think he's like Kentucky though something like that Who? and um, the other guy yeah. is, just has no discernible accent whatsoever you know yeah. just a bland American 
Let's get to the love interest, though, because we've heard a lot about... Um, and here it's Margaret, but it's usually Betty is the love interest of the Hulk. Like, does 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 the Hulk have any love interest outside in the Marvel comics or not? Before we go any further, where did you get Margaret from? Because it's Maggie throughout the whole movie, and yet in the notes it was Margaret, and I and, and I, had to I, change I went it. I went on the thing and it said Margaret. Look, it's the same name. It's just a rebranding. It's not. It isn't. It, it's so confusing to watch a thing about Maggie, and then when I come to look at the notes. There's talking about this character called Margaret. I'm going, who's that? This is like that bit. this Margaret character arrive? It's like that bit on The Simpsons, surprise, where they're, they're reading out the names of the child to Homer. And he goes, Margaret, who's Margaret? And he goes, Maggie. Oh, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> I tuned out as well, guys. Don't worry. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Betty. As soon as I hear the S word, I just go, right, what am I going to have for my tea tonight? What shopping do I need to get tomorrow? <laughs> um, what were you asking me? Does the Hulk have any other love interests in the Marvel comics apart from well, Betty? Hulk does, yeah. But we, we've we've talked a fair bit about that, and this isn't, of course, like Maggie in this series in this TV movie is Bruce Banner's love interest. Yeah. In the comics, like Hulk has love interests that are not Banner's love interests, which is pretty weird. Hmm. Um. Uh. Janella and um, and a, a bunch of others, but they're all yeah, they're all Hulk love interests, and not this like nice home life that that we see uh, David Banner getting here. He's pretty in the comics. Bruce is pretty consistent with Betty Ross, aside from Nadia Blonsky. That rings a bell. Mm. Nadia Blonsky married Emil Blonsky when he was a KGB agent. Um, and didn't have a terribly nice life with him. And then Emil Blonsky becomes the abomination. Um, perhaps the major Hulk villain. Ah, uh, um, yes, yes, yeah. Um, and we see him in the uh, Incredible Hulk movie as played by the great British actor... Tim Roth. Uh, Tim Roth. I oh, went David then. Um, you always said David Lee Roth. Ah, maybe that's it. Yeah. Um, and he becomes a big supervillain, and Nadia kind of gets wrapped into trying to help him being... So she gets caught up by this conspiracy group called Home Base, who have possession of Emil Blonsky, and they prey on Nadia's kind of desire to help her husband and get him released and stuff, and they say, well, your job is to... Go and sleep with Bruce Banner and gain his confidence. So she she goes off and she does seduce Bruce and they do start up a relationship together, unbeknownst to him that she's this kind of um, enemy agent for home base. And I'm not entirely sure he knows. He doesn't know that she's... Because she uses her maiden name. So I don't think he even knows that she is um, his arch enemy's uh, wife as well. But then she can't actually turn him over because she... She falls in love with him. Um, she develops his feeling. I mean, he's the opposite of everything the abomination is. He's gentle and respectful and cares about her. And he reciprocates her feelings and all that kind of stuff. It, it, it's, um, yeah, it's, it, it's one of the few times I can remember him having a love interest outside of, um, outside of Betty Ross. Okay. At Jack LeBeau's high... She died, sorry. She gets killed. She's- Sorry, I had to put the sad bit in there as well, yeah. Will. Just, just the Hulk's not allowed to be happy. Nadia is killed. Bloody hell, Rob. 
<laughs> at, Jack at Jack LeBeau's hideout, his men tried to explain how they were chased away by big green... Damn, Jack LeBeau! Creole Cajun, you hear? <laughs> I'm so... Now... <laughs> Y'all gonna come and work for me, the most French Creole man y'all ever did meet. <laughs> Let's got our rootin' tootin' guns. Oh, have some gumbo and steel bruised batter. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I don't even want to say his name. I'm just gonna say Jack, because he's just, he's not LeBeau, he's just Jack. They were ch- you know who he's related to, don't you? Who? Gambit. Remy no. LeBeau. Jack- Remy LeBeau. Are we going to talk about? I that? mean, he's not—he's not a Marvel character, but they've got the same surname. So, headcanon: this dude is Remy LeBeau's brother. No, I'm not. Uncle. 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 I, 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 no, I'm just going to throw that out the window. Yeah, <laughs> you throw it out the window like he did his yeah. accent. His men tried to explain <laughs> how they were chased away by a big green man instead of Banner. Jack orders his men to kidnap Maggie. At the beach house, Banner tries to assure Maggie that he won't turn into the Hulk again, but she doesn't believe him. Just then, Jack's men, disguised as the police, fly a helicopter over Maggie's house and fly and fire a tranquilizer dart at Maggie. Banner pulls out the dart and the two run into the house while Maggie quickly loses consciousness. Just as he's about to open the door, the helicopter fires another dart at Banner, but instead of knocking Banner out, the dart causes him to transform into the Hulk. Seeing trouble kicking off, Blake summons Thor to help just as Jack's men storm the house. Hulk effortlessly throws the men out of the house, but Mike is able to land a shot on the Hulk with his tranquilizer gun, which slows the creature down. As Mike is about to lift off with Maggie in tow, Hulk and Thor grab onto the helicopter and try to weigh it down, but are shaken off. I um, what was I going to say? I I one thing I really love in this because of course they can't do too much special effects with the Hulk is just when he throws people. <laughs> yeah, it's really it's great. It's just really <laughs> satisfying seeing him throw a man at some people. It's just great. <laughs> also, Thor and Hulk yelling at the helicopters that flies away is a nice little shot. I thought it was a nice little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's strange to see Hulk and Thor both not strong enough to stop a small helicopter, though. <laughs> it's very odd. It's very it? odd, but you know what? While we're here, while they're yelling at the sunset, uh, shall we deal with the big question? Who's stronger, Rob? Hulk or Thor? Well, sadly, there is no real answer to this one because it keeps changing. Um, I hate the lack of both. Cannon. Both these characters. No, it's all canon. It's canon that it changes. Oh, right, because they get because the intensity of the Hulk changes, of course. Yeah, power levels just change in these characters. Both of these characters have strength levels that, that go up and down, depending on what they're doing, really, mm. and 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 not depending on what they're doing, but there are stories that have come along which change their power levels. Whereas Captain America and Spider Man, that doesn't really ever happen. They've pretty much been roughly the same level of power and strength. Um, for their entire kind of existence. Um, it it should be noted that when originally conceived by Stanley, Thor was intended to be the strongest character in the Marvel Universe. Right. He'd already created Sp- the Thing and Spider-Man and the Hulk, and he was 
do his intention was to try and outdo himself. And he said several times he wanted to create a character even stronger than the Hulk. He says, him talking about an interview, how do you make someone stronger than the strongest person? It finally came to me. Don't make him human. Make him a <laughs> god. I decided readers were already pretty familiar with the Greek and Roman gods. It might be fun to delve into the old Norse legends. Besides, I pictured Norse gods looking like Vikings of old with flowing beards, horned helmets, and battle clubs. So that's the intent behind Thor, to create the strongest um, the strongest hero in Marvel. In their early tussles in the 60s, as, as we've kind of chatted about, it's clear that Thor was intended to be much, much stronger. Yeah. Um, but that was when Hulk was more like a troll-like creature, a brute and a thug. By the 70s, Hulk had become a much stronger and a much more popular character, thanks in part to this TV franchise we're talking about. And, you know, the more popular a character sometimes means they are able to do more and be, you know, you want them to be the major character, the strongest, perhaps. Absolutely. When they fought, when Hulk and Thor fought an issue of, of Defenders in the 70s, it's a much more even contest, unlike that early 60s appearance and, and fight. Um, and they, they destroy the whole city around them in this battle, and there's no clear winner, but it's clear that they're on, on even footing with each other. Um, <laughs> during, although during the 70s, it is stated that Thor is being written to be always holding back his full godlike strength because he never wants to kill anyone. Yeah. So that sometimes you get something like that happens where one writer writes a fight and it's clear Hulk and Thor are on the same level. And then another writer is like, I don't like that. What's a way around it? <laughs> I'll write a line of dialogue that says, oh yeah, but Thor's always holding back so that I can have in my head that he's actually stronger give a bit of wiggle room basically in the 80s we get a different version of of hulk the savage hulk and we've done a whole episode about um some of the different versions of the hulk a bonus episode on patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel we get savage hulk in the in the 80s with almost no mind this hulk wipes the floor with the entire avengers and thor is the only person able to withstand the, the Hulk's outburst and it becomes established that Thor needs Mjolnir to keep on par with with Hulk in a, in a, in a proper battle. Mjolnir would come into play in 2010 when Hulk and Thor have another battle, another fight. Hulk doesn't lift Mjolnir, but he doesn't need to. He grabs Thor's hand that is holding Mjolnir. Oh... And uses it to beat Thor in the face with his own hammer again and again until, why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? He, why are you hitting yourself, Thor, unconscious with his own hammer? That's really good. Um, 2018, we get the Immortal Hulk series, which gives us a new terrifying version of the Hulk, sometimes referred to as Devil Hulk. And within early issues, I mean, this is the really twisted version of Hulk. Early issues of Immortal Hulk, Thor is with the Avengers trying to track Hulk down and maybe stop him. But Thor theorizes that Hulk has become more than simply immortal. 
he suggests that Banner's Devil Hulk incarnation was close to being a god. And Devil Hulk did something that no other Hulk has ever done. He truly hurt Thor. With a single blow, Hulk knocks out Thor's teeth and cracks his skull. He cannot continue. He has to immediately leave the battlefield for um for medical attention and strikes true fear into into Thor. Thor really thinks he's going to die at the hands of um of this devil hulk. They get a rematch not long after, a couple of months later. Um and Thor was uh strikes first this time. And Thor had really in this period of time he's taken the throne of Asgard and he has inherited the Odin force. The, which is all of mm. Odin's powers as king of the gods. Now it's Thor. Thor is king of the gods. It makes Thor league stronger than he was before. Um, in a moment of absolute rage after seeing Hulk for the first time since that last fight, he calls down lightning that shatters Hulk's arm, blowing it to pieces. Um, but Thor, sorry, Hulk, is able to quickly regenerate his arm. He regenerates his arm around Thor's head. It grows back so quickly that Thor is suffocated inside his head, suffocating inside the 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 growing tissue of Ooh. Hulk's body, and uh, that he uses that to nearly kill the king of Asgard. Bloody hell! That's that's immense. Immortal Hulk is. Awesome. It, that does sound, again. I can't read it, can I? So nope. Sodja. Nope. Can't read it. I have to stick with DC Unlimited and get some Grant Morrison in me. In the aftermath at Maggie's Beach House, the police are questioned by reporters, including Jack McGee, who is particularly curious as to why there were reports of a large green man running down the beach. Head, hiding out at Banner's place, Banner, Blake, and Thor try to figure out how to save Margaret. However, they are interrupted by McGee, looking for Banner. Thor answers the door in a towel, drinking beer from a jug, and claims to be the man that Jack is looking for. Intimidated, Jack quickly leaves. Just then, David gets a call from the kidnappers who demand the delivery of the transponder. Blake deduces that these criminals must include people who work within the Joshua Lambert Research Institute. So the shot of Thor coming out of the shower was fantastic. No, not why. I, I just—it's just like we've it's seen gorgeous him, man. We 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 seen him party and everything. It's like, yeah, they're gonna have to do the shot of him in a towel or his pants or something like they've done in modern Thor. You know, <laughs> just to, just to remind you that he is a stunning individual. And yeah, they did that. Uh, also, <laughs> the line that really got me was when he's in a towel drinking beer from a jug. <laughs> he says, "I'm learning to be subtle after his encounter with uh, Jack McGee." Mm. I'm learning to be subtle. But that is such a great, great line. It's a, it's a, it's a funny, it's a, it's a funny, fu- it's a fun character. There's a funny dynamic. I, I think a TV show would have really worked. Yeah, absolutely. And I think both the actors are really good. Yeah, the guy playing him, really, and the guy playing Banner, really good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just, just so much fun. In the comics, though, I take <clears> it there wasn't a roving reporter or someone trying to hunt Bruce Banner down. Uh, no, 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 re- not, a, not a reporter. Because like, um, so the Hulk's secret identity isn't secret for very long. Mm. Um, to begin with, it is 
it is almost like a it's like a werewolf meets Clark Kent situation. He does have a secret yeah. identity. By day, he's mild-mannered Bruce Banner. At night, he runs off to this cave and transforms into the Hulk and stuff like that. But that by 1966, the um, that all changes. There's a story where um, the Bruce Banner's kind of friend and confidant and sidekick, Rick Jones, thinks that the Hulk is dead. And he's like struck, stricken by grief and... He, you know, he 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 sees um, what's his face, Talbot and Betty Ross and all those people, Thunderbolt Ross, and he's like, "Oh, you don't understand. It's not just the Hulk that's dead. The Hulk was Bruce Banner, your friend and colleague. Oh, <laughs> you should all be sad. I'm so sorry. I have to tell you this. It's Bruce Banner. He was the Hulk all along, and now he's dead. But he isn't dead. And he turns up immediately. And Rick Jones is just really screwed up. Um, and from that moment on in '66. The, the the army and the government know that Banner is Hulk, and the general public then know it gets out in the newspapers and stuff. So there's no one like in 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 the the Incredible Hulk TV franchise in the TV series. It was like this reporter was chasing down a, a Bigfoot style urban myth, right? Yeah, I'm going to get the scoop on. Who the big who Bigfoot really is? I'm gonna actually find out who's inside that flying saucer. I'm gonna, you know, actually nail this urban this urban myth that's all around the country. There's none of that in the comics, but he is constantly being hunted and chased. You know, the army, different government divisions, military divisions, or Shield or whatever. But Bruce Banner is. Um, is constantly on the run, and he he does constantly have to use like cover stories and and, and fake names and mm. try and change his appearance and keep moving from town to town and stuff. So there are, there are very similar elements. It's ironic that he he he's supposed to be calm, not to transform into the Hulk. Yeah, he's constantly stressed out by people chasing him because he turns into the Hulk. Well, yes, that's the whole dynamic. <laughs> yeah. The whole dynamic is a constant circle. <laughs> Yeah, you you yeah. kind of put your main character up against the wall all the time. Yeah, it's just it's just it's just it's just you know, I, I, it just it just sounds very stressful. So yeah, at Jack at Jack's hideout, Zachary Lambert is angry that the criminal has kidnapped Mar- Maggie, as that was not part of their deal. But Jack intimidates him. At the lab, Thor watches as Blake and Donald work at sabotaging the transponder. Thor, uncomfortable being surrounded by science, demands to be summoned back into the hammer again. I, I loved that bit. He just hates being inactive. And he's just like, yeah. uh, uh, just call me when there's someone to fight. Oh, it's a banner-heavy scene again. Put me in the background. <laughs> Blake tries to convince Banner to use the machine to cure himself quickly before they sabotage it, but there isn't enough time. The next moment, Blake gets a call. Zachary Lambert has been shot and wants Banner to visit him in hospital. So, in this movie, it's it's like um, Thor is like a genie living inside his hammer. In the original mm. stories, what happens to Thor when he turns into Donald Blake? Does he go inside Molnir or does he just warp or what? Okay. Okay. So, okay. to begin with, there is no Thor. Ah, uh, there is no spoon. Th- there's there's a... a, a there's no separate being called Thor. Right. 
In the original stories, Donald Blake is an ordinary man who uses Mjolnir to get the powers and the physical appearance of Thor. He's cosplaying as Thor. But then as time went by, this got muddied and confused because the stories changed so that it was like, well, Thor's actually got all of Thor's memories and he's a real person, he's got real life. And Donald Blake was now this kind of forgotten... So as time went by, Marvel just... Initially, it was like Donald Blake becomes Thor, but then has access to all of Thor's memories as well, which is so bizarre. Um, Because if you've got Mm. someone's memories, are you not that person? And then as time went by, Marvel just stopped bringing up Donald Blake. (laughs) They just (laughs) stopped. The Thor stuff is fun. We don't want the secret identity stuff. They just start doing Thor in Asgard, Asgardians, Giants, Rainbow Bridges, all of that. Yeah. Then in 1968, they decided to actually try to explain the Donald Blake situation and tie up all those loose ends they hadn't bothered to do anything with. And what happens is Thor learns that Donald Blake is not real and never was real. Mm. It was all an elaborate scheme by Odin. So Odin decided it was time for Thor to learn humility. Yeah. Um, Odin had Thor surrender his hammer where he put extra enchantments on it and then he sent him to Earth and stripped his memory and his true identity and implanted thoughts in his head that made him think he was this guy called Donald Blake and changed his physical appearance and he also made him disabled Hmm. so that he had to live with... um, the scorn of other people which is how it was presented in the 60s and to know what it's like to actually be um in some ways weaker than other people and he set him on this course to become a a surgeon and a doctor to learn the value of humble perseverance and dealing with his Uh, his injured leg to care for the sick to care for the dying to have patience the patience enough to learn and all of that and he lived this life for years after he spends 10 years as donald blake becoming a physician and then after 10 years odin plants this thought in donald blake's mind thor's mind really this suggestion to go to norway on vacation and sort of hypnotically guides him towards the cave where he finds mjolnir and that gives him access to his true powers. Um, so he's not a mortal man gaining the powers of a god when he uses Mjolnir. He is a god rediscovering his true nature. Um, and Marvel explained away some of the inconsistencies in the older stories to do with memory yeah. by saying, oh, the first Thor still had no memory of his past life as an Asgardian. And then he just, as months went by, he started to gain some of those stuff. Um, so yeah, there's not a swapping of places. Nothing happens to Thor or Donald Blake. They actually are the same thing, the same entity, the same being. Thor would maintain his Donald Blake identity on Earth for a, for a bit, but um, after a while, he eventually kind of gave that up and um, 
Nick Fury created a new identity for him for some reason. He was a construction worker called Sigurd Jolson. And so, yeah, Donald Blake was gone, although he would come back, but that's a story for another day. Another day. After Zachary reveals the location of Jack's hideout to Banner, both Blake and Banner sneak in, summoning Thor to help them. As they assess their situation and plan their attack, Banner notices Joshua Lambert driving towards the building and stops him, telling him to just leave as anything he does might endanger Maggie. But Joshua wants to get revenge for his brother's death and strikes Banner, causing him to transform. As Joshua tries to drive into the building, the Hulk lifts up the back of the car, causing Joshua to panic and put the pedal down. The Hulk puts the car down, causing it to plough into some machinery just as Joshua dives out of the car. The Hulk runs at Jack's gunman, with Thor grabbing a makeshift shield and engaging the henchman in hand-to-hand combat. Hulk takes out the rest of with a girder before taking on Jack and Mike. Blake picks up an assault rifle and lands a shot in Mike's leg before gunning down another henchman on the catwalk above. Mike tries to run Thor over in a car, but the Thunder God wrecks the car with his hammer. That's a very cool moment. He throws the hammer. It hits the car, lightning everywhere. That was cool. Yeah, that was really good. Outside, Jack takes Margaret hostage at gunpoint, but Hulk takes the gun... Just to to start, that thought's just occurred to me then. Like, I wouldn't have praised that moment in an MCU movie. Mm. If Thor hit a car with a hammer, I wouldn't have gone, oh, that was a good bit. But in, in, in this movie, because there's so little of the of the... Spectacle, like the the yeah, the spectacle yeah. and and the, the, the it stands out when you go, oh yeah, oh that's a cool bit, yeah. When it's happening all the time, I think you you're not as like, yeah. There's something quite interesting about that, isn't there? Yeah, we yeah. talked we talked in the um, in the Superman episode, our first DC mm. edition, that an awful lot of the appeal of Superman, the comic in the early days, was showing people something they had never seen before yes. the spectacle not 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 much of a story literally just a spectacle of artwork showing superman picking up an elephant stopping a train doing these huge feats that are beyond what any of us could actually see anywhere and in the in the in the 30s you couldn't, you could not see it in a movie or a TV show, or anything like that. Yeah, there's some element of that spectacle to these, to this '70s series and to this TV movie. In that we didn't, we at the time it came out, it wasn't a world where you could turn on the television and see huge amounts of science fiction. Of course, Star Wars had come out, and there were bits of bits of things here and there. Star Trek was on the TV a little bit, but especially in the superhero world, you were starved of seeing anything like this. So I think there is an awful lot of... It was important in the Incredible Hulk TV series that you got two Hulk transformations per episode. Yes. That was apparently one (laughs) of the rules. that They had the budget for it, and that was what they did. Which meant that you got two spectacular things to see in every episode. Same with, like, the $6 million man. There's an element of spectacle to that. You get to see... The effect of a guy jumping over a high wall or whatever he's doing, and I think there's bits of that to this that that, that, that it has its appeal. Perhaps beyond our generation, it might not have that appeal. Perhaps once you get people who immediately were raised with like the X Men cartoon, the Spider Man cartoon, um, 
and then by the time they are a teenager, they've got the Blade, X-Men, and Spider-Man movies. Maybe that spectacle element is lost on them, but I think it's a real... Just just that moment then of me going, it's really cool when he hits a car with his hammer. <laughs> <laughs> like, that would be nothing if I saw it in an MCU movie, but yeah. it kind of actually has an effect on this. I went, whoa, cool. Thor did something in this film. Yeah, he did something <laughs> that, was, that was special to him. Yeah. Outside, Jack takes Maggie hostage at gunpoint, but Hulk takes the gun from his hand and rips it apart, causing Jack to flee. Grabbing a metal pipe and bending it, Hulk corners Jack and wraps the pipe around him, trapping the criminal. However, after glancing at Maggie, the Hulk turns and flees. This was, as we said, a lot of fun, this fight. There's a lot going on. This really felt like they were working towards something here. Like, they, they, they weren't going all, going all out action. They were doing little bits in before, but this was like the big the big thing at the end. Yeah, I guess so. I Again, I, I, I felt the, the, the TV movie kind of, I liked that there was a lot of stuff happening here, but I I thought Thor with the shield and the hammer was cool. Yeah. I just didn't like this plot of <laughs> yeah. men with a van kidnapping, and I just didn't like it. I just thought it was very dull and quite bland. It's It felt like they were trying to make it in the same kind of vein as they would do before in this TV show. Yeah, and they and they read and and they just went. Oh, let's quickly invent someone, you know. And, and they could have done something different, but never mind. We when we when we I looked at the trailers, thinking to try and get a good trailer, maybe to to have and to you know put on Twitter and all that kind of stuff. None of the NBC trailers that I can find on YouTube or any places like that meant none of them mentioned Thor at all. The trailer mm. is Dr. Bruce Banner is back and he's got a wife uh, or, or a, a woman that he loves. And this time they're coming to get the woman he loves. And you see the helicopter scene yeah. and you see her get kidnapped and it says, but they don't know that Dr. Bruce Banner has a secret and they won't like it when he gets angry tonight on NBC. Like that's the whole effort. There's no, yeah. also there's a Viking warrior God with a magic hammer and he's dead, but he's not dead and he fights and he drinks. None of that. They don't mention Thor at all. No. So two different trailers and they're all, all basically, Bruce Banner, uh, David Banner's back. He's got a girl. Helicopters, <laughs> Hulk. I thought that was interesting. The selling point they seemed to think was the kidnap his woman storyline, rather than Thor, the God of Thunder. Hmm. So, do Hulk and Thor work together in the comic books? Because you you mentioned a lot of fighting. Hmm. Mm. No, not really. Oh, <laughs> They're almost always fighting. That's kind of the natural thing to do with these with these characters. I mean, they they are both part of the original lineup of the Avengers, mm. but that only lasts for two issues. At the end of issue two, Hulk has had enough of the bickering and the arguing with the puny humans who don't trust him. He he quits the team at the end of the second issue, and by issue three, he's their antagonist, their enemy. And he's fighting them. Mm. Um, Hulk wouldn't work with the Avengers again until 98 issues later. Uh, issue 100 of the Avengers, they, they they sought to bring back the biggest, bring together the biggest team of Avengers ever assembled and included lots of members that had, former members that had left the team. They, they brought them back for one special kind of one off mission. And that included the Hulk, who briefly rejoined the team in issue 100, worked alongside Thor 
for that one issue, but then immediately left the team and left the comic. Um, It wasn't meant to be a real thing. During the 90s, when all of Earth's heroes came together to fight Thanos and his Infinity Gauntlet, Thor and the Avengers found themselves working alongside the Hulk for the first time in 20 years. Um, And as we discussed... 90s Hulk is a very different version of Hulk than the Avengers remembered. This is the merged personality called the Professor. Ah, yes, yes. Uh, possesses Bruce Banner's intellect and, and, and sort of mind, the Grey Hulk's cunning and streetwise criminality, and the Green Hulk's raw power. Mm. Um, and I distinctly remember this version of the Hulk telling Captain America and the other Avengers that he's not happy about the way they've treated him Mm. and about the fact that they don't even seem to count him as a founding member of the Avengers. Um, I found that to be an interesting dynamic in the middle of this massive crossover event. And then it would be 20 years after that in the 90s, it would be the year 2012 when the Hulk would finally rejoin the Avengers as a proper, accepted, ongoing member for the first time in 50 years. So um, 2012, of course, um, the Avengers movie is coming out, and Marvel realised they don't have a comic with all of those characters in called the Avengers, because their actual Avengers lineup is completely different to the movie. (laughs) So they went, right, quickly, let's make a comic that has Hawkeye, Black Widow... Thor, Hulk, Captain America, Iron Man, let's do that. So they they bring out a new comic called Avengers Assemble, and it's in continuity to begin with, and they they but it's very light on continuity, mm. and they bash together um, they bash together all these characters, including Thor, who r- joins up with the other characters, joins the team, and has his Avengers membership officially reactivated to become an ongoing member for the first time since. Uh, since the 60s. Fantastic. Up to the last bit of the film now. The next day, Banner says his goodbyes to Blake and Thor before spending one last evening with Margaret. With Banner still needing to find a cure, he leaves Margaret the next morning. And there it is, one of the most iconic theme tunes in the history of television. It's something else, isn't it? The, the Lonely Man theme. Yeah, it was bought back uh, for the 2008 Incredible Hulk movie and Thor Ragnarok. I don't think I, I think maybe I spotted it in the in the Hulk movie. The, the original, I don't think I spotted it in Ragnarok, but well, I think um, we'll, we'll we'll be reminded when we deal with it later this year. <clears throat> yeah, it's a it's a it's a really great piece. I think all the like I I, I can't. <laughs> That's great as well. And the bit yeah. at the start where they they put the Lonely Man theme with this rousing kind of orchestral music as well to create something that's exciting, but also very Hulk-like. Brilliant. Let's end this, okay, let's end this with another big question. In the Marvel comics, who would win, Rob, in a fight? Hulk or Thor? Well, we have an answer. We have a couple of answers. So, I'd be interested, what do you you think, then, in the... Yeah, we can do something else when we get to Ragnarok. Who? What do you think in the comics? In the comics, from what you've kind of heard, or yeah, because Thor is supposed to be the strongest one. I would, or a god base. I'm going to go with Thor. Hmm. That's understandable. Um, We can get an answer from Stan Lee if we want. 2018, he did an interview um, 
and he spoke to a young uh, a young fan actually called KJ uh, Ricci who was a leukemia survivor that was given the opportunity to interview his idol at a, uh, a comic convention in Rhode Island and Ricci asked about um, the, the the battles and the epic showdowns between Hulk and Thor and asked his idol who would win in a fight between the two and Stanley said I would have to say Thor because as strong as Hulk is, mm. he's still mortal. Yes. Thor is one of the Norse gods. I say Hulk is absolutely not mortal, especially especially with the events of Immortal Hulk. Um, they have had many, many, many fights over the years. Um, and we have numbers. So a crazy person called Joe Semino over at the Hero Envy blog, um, Hero Envy blogspot, you'll find it, has done the work. Will, done the work. John Semino has done the work. He's tallied up every single Hulk versus Thor clash in Marvel history. Semino has tallied up every single Hulk-Thor clash ever. This sounds like the Tra- kind of work tra- the... Uh, listen, 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 listen. listen. Comic books, trading cards, bubblegum appearances, oh, video games, TV, cartoons, no. uh, books for, for, for people that are learning to read. He has somehow found every single instance of Hulk versus Thor. We're not going to pay attention to the ones outside, right, of Marvel Comics continuity. Yeah. But he has tallied up Every single clash in continuity. They have fought 41 times. As of this year, 2022, with the new series, they have fought 41 times in the comics. Wow. With the overwhelming majority of those fights being a draw or having no winner. Oh, for God's sake. (laughs) Thor, out of 41 fights, has conclusively won two fights. Okay. Hulk has conclusively won three. So that is a horrible number when you think of 41 fights, but the numbers don't lie. Hulk would win in a fight if we go to the tail of the tape between these two combatters. (laughs) Three fights to two in favour of old Greenskin. And uh, yeah, that's that's John Cimino. It's a tough one. It's a very tough one yeah. because both, again, as we talked about when the strength and the power question, there are different versions, different strength levels and power versions of these characters over the years as they've gained and lost powers and abilities and stuff. Um, I would never, in any in any fight, I would never, ever, ever put money against the Hulk because I truly don't believe the Hulk can ever be killed or vanquished yeah it's not a safe bet you create a portal to another world and chuck him in it but as we've seen with world war hulk that will only end horribly for you well there we have it folks put to bed the very first screen appearance of thor and the very first clash between hulk and thor outside of uh, the comic books something that as we've documented would be uh, echoed throughout the decades and throughout the different mediums over the many, many years of Hulk and Thor. Will, I'd be eager to know, would it be your favourite slice of Marvel trivia in history that you've uh, 
you've learned about in this episode? It's, it's a toss-up between Thor getting cured, no, not Thor, Hulk getting cured four issues in, <laughs> and that guy just now who who basically quantified and quantified Hulk versus Thor, Hulk versus Thor, Thor battle, which is it's a toss-up between those two. I can't decide which one's better. <laughs> Uh, I love data. To, I love data. Sorry. Mega shout out to Hulk Envy. Uh, sorry. Mega shout out to the Hero Envy uh, blog on Blogspot. Uh, John Samino. I think he's on a bunch of others as well. Um, different, different kind of looking at the data of different clashes. Um, well, then, I uh, as the dichotomy of this show is, I am the, the 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 Marvel Comics side, and you are the the kind of the movie TV show side, um, and. As ever, we'd be really interested to hear your thoughts um, on this movie as as a, as a piece of uh, entertainment. Well, it's a dated. It's a dated uh, affair. It is a dated TV movie, but it's surprisingly well put together. And I have seen my fair share of TV movies, like V, for example. That was a fantastic, uh, we mentioned earlier, V's fantastic TV movie. This is, this is good. Bill Bixby has that weird star quality of someone from the 70s. It, I can't put my finger on it. There's just something about him where you go, ah, he is someone from the 70s and he's got that X factor that they you just don't really see anymore. But he's very, very good at playing David Banner. I thought Thor, as soon as I heard about Thor being in this, I thought this is going to be an awkward addition. But they handled him just as well as they did in the MCU. I really thought they did a good job here. And on the strength of this, I would have loved to have seen a late 80s TV show about Thor. Even if it was just him going from town to town solving problems like this show, I would still watch it. I would still love to have seen that. It felt like a long episode of the TV series in the film, but it was a good laugh. But even then, this was still a great feat. Getting everyone back for another romp and throwing another major Marvel character into the mix. Watching this made me remember watching the TV show as a kid, remembering just how long Marvel has been part of my childhood, even though I haven't read any of the comics. If you're hankering for some more Hulk versus Thor, um, then there is there's not a lot of collections out there. There is one called Thor versus Hulk, um, which does collect a whole bunch of these scattered issues where where they fight. The, the the problem with like Hulk versus Thor stories is that it's not a storyline. It'll be a one-off issue or a two-part issue. So they're not really ever collected into the Hulk versus Thor story. There's not like a trade paperback of, of that kind of event or story. But this Thor versus Hulk does collect a whole bunch of their scattered fights um, from various different issues over various different decades it's no longer in print so you'll have to find it secondhand on uh, ebay or or the like uh, it's a good fun collection it's got stuff from the 60s and the 70s and 80s and and other stuff in that as well and marvel are currently right now publishing a series called hulk versus thor banner of war um, i haven't read it yet i wasn't the biggest fan of where the writer uh, Donny Coates was taking the the Hulk character, but I only read a, a, a smattering of issues, and uh, so it'll be out in the stands. You can grab that, um, or you can find that on uh, you know secondhand uh, resale sites mm. as well. In the next episode, we return to the Marvel animated universe of the nineteen nineties. We've handled X Men, Spider Man, we've handled Iron Man, and we've handled. Th- uh, Hulk, the other guy <laughs> that we talked about a lot today. 
It's time for us to delve into the Fantastic Four of the 90s. Um, we'll be using this opportunity to ex- to explore the very first Marvel supervillain in the history of the Marvel Universe. Um, plus, we'll be taking a trip into one of the key aspects of the Marvel Universe, the Negative Zone. So join us in the next episode for the 90s Fantastic Four cartoon series. Um, don't forget, this is your last uh, few weeks to get hold of official Marvel vs. Marvel t-shirts. Head to offworldtees.com slash MVM. That's offworldtees.com slash MVM. Only available until the 31st of July. Thanks for listening to Marvel vs. Marvel. Please take the time to like us, rate us, leave us a great review and five stars. And hey, why not recommend us to a friend that loves Marvel? Don't forget to get your t-shirts from offworldtees.com slash mvm. And for bonus episodes, head to patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel. <laughs> <laughs>